0: Tonight's episode of the Bill Simmons podcast on the Ringer podcast network is brought to you by The Zone. Guess what you can do on The Zone? Watch boxing, live boxing. Oh, I have an example for you. Anthony Joshua. He's coming to the US this weekend, Saturday night to take on the destroyer, Andy Ruiz Jr. at Madison Square Garden. In New York City, Joshua, arguably the best heavyweight fighter in the world. He holds three of the major heavyweight titles. Can you name the three titles, Kyle? Heavyweight? (laughs) (laughs) IBF, WBO, and IBO. Of course, of course. Yeah. Ruiz, 32 wins, 21 knockouts. So that's happening. Here's how you can watch it. Go to DAZN.com. And uh, yeah, go there. Do the app. Sign up. They got a couple of options. Get in there and you get to watch a heavyweight championship fight. Also brought to you by BMW, the all new BMW 3 Series. Don't be driven by technology. Drive it. Available with all the inno- latest uh, BMW innovations. What you love about this vehicle cannot be listed or explained in words. It has to be felt on the road. Much like watching Kawhi Leonard during these finals. Uh, you can watch it on TV. You can enjoy it. But in person... The athleticism and the know-how really stands out. Hurry into your local BMW center today. Test drive the all new BMW 3 Series for yourself. Don't be driven by technology. Drive it. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. And my personal favorite car. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com and The Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find a slew of awesome pieces, features, and podcasts. Coming up, we have Joe House, And I are going to break down game one of the NBA finals, which just happened. And then we have Mally Rubin talking about, with a little distance, Game of Thrones, what the series meant. Are we going to have another prestige TV show by that? Were the people right or wrong to be so upset about uh, some of the events of season seven, season eight? And then also what the future of Binge Mode is. So, yeah, uh, you can hear that as well as coming up after that, David Shoemaker, the great one. Um, we're gonna talk wrestling because we had a seismic moment in the wrestling, uh, wrestling annals this past week. The business feels like it's changing. There's been a new entrance. AEW is in and we were both like blown away by how good uh, of a job they've done this month. And we wanna talk about what it means with WWE. That is all coming up first, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> Alright, we're taping this a little bit before midnight on the East Coast, a little bit before nine o'clock on the West Coast. Game one, NBA Finals in the books. Joe House, a longtime aficionado of the NBA Finals. He's online. Uh, you just watched this. I think we'll remember it as the Siakam game. Will we remember this as the Siakam series? What's your takeaway?
1: I don't think we're gonna remember this as the Siakam series, but You know, he had a great game one against Philadelphia. uh, And, you know, this is the thing with this Toronto team. They have established this identity of kind of taking turns among various of their kind of role players, stepping up and having big games. So he he had a quiet series against Milwaukee. He didn't shoot great, but they had other guys that filled in and were able to, to... you know, um, they were the difference in, in that series. They won four straight games because of their role players. Yeah. And this iteration of Toronto is tough to beat. When you get, you know, when you you you, you expect twenty four points or more out of uh, my man Kawhi, but you get uh, double digits out of Danny Green, who's been dead all series. Yeah. You get double digits out of Van Vleet. You get twenty points out of Gasol. Uh, you know that that's a tough. That's that's a, that's a tough uh, recipe for anybody.
0: Well, and then you had how many pull it out of your sphincter threes and weird shots did Toronto make every time it seemed like Golden State was going to get over the hump? My dad, my dad always calls these the hump games. Golden State just couldn't get over the hump. It would be like they'd be down three, they'd be down two down four, felt like that, and then all of a sudden something weird would happen. The worst one was probably McCaw. I don't even know why he was out there. I was shocked to see him. And then he made like a dagger three. And I think it was the only three he made the whole game, but that one really hurt. Yeah, that was the only three mid made all game. And then that one, the game was probably decided at that point, but the, the Van Vliet shot at the end, the circus yeah. double pump off the bat, when that stuff starts going in, You know, it's not your night. This is one of those nights where it was all going in for Toronto. And I got to say, I was surprised because I thought, I went into this thinking, you know, their guys are a little, those role guys are a little hit or miss. I thought the pressure of the finals, um, just, just how different it is, having gone to the finals where you have those, you know, two hours for the game, you're warming up, and there's 200 people on the court. And it's just different. It feels different. There's a different energy to it. I thought it would affect them. And it was the opposite. I, I actually thought that 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 was the best I've seen them play in a couple of weeks. What was interesting, Kawhi wasn't good, and he got to the free throw line, but didn't it look like he was kind of playing one legged half the half that game?
1: Totally agree with that. He he, he did indeed look like he was playing one legged. We kept I was watching with a big group of guys, and there, there was you know a lot of questions about what you know how hurt is he? Yeah, how hurt is is Kawhi? Well, He still played 43 minutes.
0: So. Yeah, and he got to the line 12 times. They were getting more calls than the Warriors, it felt like. But I thought the Warriors made a tactical mistake. They really sold out to stop Kawhi early. And, you know, they were, they were trapping him, sending two guys, and they were kind of leaving Siakam unaccounted for, which was the opposite of what, what the Bucks really did. I thought, I assumed they would go into this game and try to take out the role guys and make sure that the role guys didn't beat them. And if Kawhi was going to shoot 30 times, you know, kind of play the, play the math on that because he's been doing that now for two straight rounds. And at some point, it felt like he was going to wear down from that. He looked worn down tonight. I thought they made a mistake selling out the way they did in the first half to try to shut him down. I would have I been much more worried about Siakam and Danny Green getting going. Danny Green missed his first couple, but... Siakam's the guy. You just don't. He he was really good this season and was in a funk last series. And now, um, I'd be very concerned if I was a Warriors fan. What do you think?
1: Well, that's the reason for the concern is Lowry didn't have a great game shooting wise. He shot two of nine from the field, and he uh, ended up almost fouling out. But he uh, it was a it was a plus. Eleven he had he led the team. he and Kawhi had the best plus minus along with Van Fleet.
0: took up good and, charges.
1: yeah, and and he had you know nine assists, so he played a pretty controlled game, even though he didn't shoot well. It will be his turn to have a good game at home this is the This is the risk. This is why you can't f around in the regular season. I just wonder how this this uh series would line up if Golden State was starting off the series with two home games. It's the very best scenario with Toronto starting off with, with two straight home games, um, with, with the momentum carrying over from all of the good feelings. And really what I think is like an identity for them that they developed by kicking Milwaukee's ass four straight games. right? Like those four straight games, they, they, they found themselves and they were able to just come right back home and, and, you know, uh, Find that that comfortable place they were in when they were kicking Milwaukee's ass, and, and everybody just stepped up.
0: Yeah, but see, we've seen the flip side of this too. Like the '06 Mavericks, they kind of found themselves during that Spurs series in the Western, in the Western Finals, and then they win the first two games against Miami, and then they blow Game Three, and it flips. You know, so I, I it, the find yourself. Thing, oh, it can flip. Yeah, it can. can it can flip, flip back. Um, Yeah. I'm with you, though. I really... The more... When I was watching the game today, I just assumed that some of the Toronto guys would... The stage would be a little big for them. But they really did get some good big game reps those last two games. And they've also had guys... Like Gasol's been in a million international games and stuff like that. He's been in a conference finals. Kawhi and Danny Green have obviously done a bunch of stuff. Lowry's been in some big LeBron games. It's not like they haven't been in big games. But I think those last two rounds... You're right. There was... A nice seasoning, and then the other thing, which we always discount, let's file this away for next year. They, the the uh, The massive amounts of rest for the Warriors, where, you know, the announcers were talking about it that first half about how worried Steve Kerr was about just getting the rhythm, how it's impossible to replicate the practice. They looked way off in that first half. I thought they looked a little better in the second half, but um, I didn't really feel like defensively. They started to look like the Warriors until the last six minutes of the game. I thought they had some really good defensive sequences down the stretch. I guess the X factor, though, is Iggy looked like he got hurt again at the tail end. Yeah, at the
1: very end. Yeah.
0: He got hurt. He got Uh, hurt on a layup. And then on the next play, which was really their last gasp, Kawhi shoved him out of bounds on an offensive rebound and got it. No call. (laughs) Steve Kerr's going to row. Steve Kerr was yeah. going crazy. The announcers missed it completely, and they showed no replay. They were just like, "We're good. We're going to move on. We're going to move on from this one." It's nice. It's nice for ABC that Toronto's going to win this one. We're good. We're happy. But um, I, uh, I, it just felt like one of those games, and it felt that way early on. It felt like the kind of game that Pascal Siakam was going to go fourteen for seventeen. The line was really, really kind of fascinating. I ended up getting sucked into taking the Warriors. They were even money line. They were plus one and a half, but they were like minus 275 to win the series, which doesn't make a, a lot of sense because now they got to basically win four of the next six. Wait, did you understand that? I, sometimes I just don't understand gambling lines.
1: I I have no idea what was going on there. I, I assumed it was moving around a, a good bit over the course of today. It looked like it ended up, with Toronto at a -115 money line um yeah. but all, all throughout the day it was the Warriors getting one it was even they they were they they were favored uh the day before it just looked like you know people were were pushing money in yeah um uh, and, and and it was it never really moved a ton i bet on the first half i bet on golden state um at even odds to to win the first half just mm. on that theory you outlined of some of the Toronto guys showing up and feeling finals tightness. And it, yeah. it was just, you know, that was the idea of it, but I, I, I was prepared to lose. They, they, they weren't tight. They came out um, poised. They came out with the exact same, you know, uh, game six mentality against the bucks and they just went and kicked ass.
0: It did. I'd heard this mentioned before this series that there was a little bit of 2004 piston similarities kind of the team out of nowhere that finds itself as the playoffs go along and then really turns it on in the finals against a team that is a little overrated. People had really, including myself, had really shook off the Durant injury as they can win without him because they basically, they won a game six against Houston against a team that as we come to find out in in the subsequent weeks, um, was not getting along. It doesn't seem like, and it seems like they weren't getting along during and at halftime and after that game. So you have that. Then you, then they sweep Portland, where Lillard was definitely wearing down and had broke had the broken rib or whatever he had in game two. Plus, Cantor was just broke down as that series went along. They kind of caught that Portland team at the perfect time. Maybe you and I and Sal, since I'm going to th- use the three of us, since all of us wagered on the Warriors. Maybe we overrated those five wins by the Warriors. What do you think?
1: I don't know. Uh, A game one like this in in Toronto, uh, this is a a classic kind of like feel them out and you have a bunch of colliding narratives here. Uh, South sent around a stat amongst us about how great uh, Golden State is on rest. But on the other hand, historically teams with that amount of rest have not done great south also shared with us a stat about how good golden state has been in game one
0: yeah
2: that uh, didn't you happen.
1: know this this was a this was a golden state on the road and uh, uh for, for game one and we 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 just it, it's it's a the confounding thing about toronto is ha, are you going to get that performance from those role players Um, in a way that that can, that can swing the game. But but I mean, game
0: two, game two, they might get 28 from Lowry, something like that. That's, that's what, that part reminds me of the 04 Pistons. Um, The, the fact that they're just, I thought they were for the most part, really good defensively in that game. They had a couple breakdowns, but they really made the Warriors work for shots. The thing that reminded me of that 04 finals more than anything was just a, a lot of dudes on the Warriors side that you're like, Oh Wow that guy oh mm-hmm. oh he's taking a big shot right now like Quinn Cook took a really big three at one point and I think it was to cut a lead from maybe it was like six to three something like that in the fourth quarter he missed it and then the Raptors came down and they made a shot and it was like a five-point swing or six-point swing but there was a couple moments where Jarebko made I think one he might have even made two Cousins took one Livingston in the in the lane like it it, it you kept kind of reminding yourself like, Oh yeah, they're missing Durant. They're missing that one extra guy that you, you'd really need here. And it really was a lot of, a lot of Clay and Curry, like every play well, running through them. And I, you know, I, this broke perfectly for KD, right? Cause that, cause it's, now it's like, we don't have to hear that narrative anymore. And actually they need KD Now he can hop out his white horse and ride to the rescue.
1: Well, and the the thing that was missing uh, from this game was the patented Golden State run. Yeah. We, they, never, they never got going. They never ripped off, you know, nine or 11 straight. They couldn't get stops. They couldn't get consecutive stops against Toronto. They could get, like, one stop. They got a turnover here and there. And a bunch of times they pushed it. They closed, like, an 11-point lead to seven, uh, but never got it, like, down to three and never made Toronto seriously, uh, uh, you know, concerned. There was two instances, um, and I don't remember uh, when, but both in the second half where Kawhi made shots. He just took shots. He made that one three three.
0: over in Looney's mug,
1: Right in his face.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. It was one of those games where, what what are there, like 12 shots in a game that could kind of start swinging it one way or the other. And it felt like all those went in for the Raptors in that game. There was one near the end that didn't where Danny Green was officially starting to heat up yeah, and he had a really nice catch and shoot from the right corner and it like hit both parts of the room and went out. But you know, if, if I'm a Raptors fan, you knew Siakam was good, right? He, whether he, whether the stage was a little big for him last round, who knows, maybe it was the way the bucks were playing him, but you, you figured like from an athletic point he was going to come around the part the the one part we just didn't know with them was whether Green was lost for the playoffs. You know, because he, he was really he it was beyond a slump. And he couldn't I feel be like on they the needed him. Should, yeah. Yeah. So they do need him. Right. So now that now they have him back, I thought Gasol was great tonight, especially in the first he was half. Great. I, I thought he was uh great. the stuff he was doing defensively jumping out 30 feet from the basket. They were just bound and determined never to let Curry shoot an open 28-footer. It's really funny. It's funny to watch. They were they were totally happy with him having the floaters. Drive, drive to the basket all you want. We are not giving you open anything. So the times that he got the shots, it was an accident. But Gasol was a big part of that. I, I thought his defense was really, really good. And that's somebody who's been in a lot of big games. I, I didn't love that trade but it is nice to have Marcus Gasol in a, in a finals game versus found Shunas. you know, j- I just feel um, like, I, I, the veteran thing is that that's really, this is where it matters right now.
1: And, and, and against Golden State who, uh, you know, has a, a, a size deficiency, um, yeah. inside outside, uh, ability is, is, is a, is a nice, like advantage they can create, a nice mismatch they can create. Well what do 20 you do with, points and seven rebounds from him?
0: What do you do? With, oh, so the Quinn Cook play, ten minutes left, ninety-two eighty seven. He missed a wide open three. Lowry rebound goes to Siakam. Siakam makes a makes a two and suddenly it's seven again. But there were moments like that strewn throughout the game when it just felt like something good was gonna happen. And, uh, and then it didn't happen. I would have, if I, my big notes for the Warriors were: I just, I don't think I wouldn't, wouldn't play cousins.
1: Yeah. I I agree with that. I don't think he was shocked how much time he was playing in the fourth quarter.
0: It was weird. He doesn't, he's not at the speed of the way the speed and intensity of these last couple rounds. I I just don't think he has it in him if he hasn't been playing. And, uh, he couldn't,
1: he couldn't move. He, he, I mean, the defensive rotations, he was out of position constantly.
0: And there was a couple of plays offensively where he was just in the wrong spots. I I would play Looney way more than he played. Looney only played. played oh, I guess 28. he played twenty eight. Yeah, he was. A lot of that came in the in the last like twenty minutes of the game, though. Because I remember looking yeah. earlier and he hadn't played nearly as many minutes as I thought. He didn't even start. But Jordan Bell played twelve. Might I might rethink that one. I I would start Looney. We'll see though if if Iggy's hurt. They don't have a lot of options. You might see more Swedish no. Larry. House Swedish Larry might really get some legit <laughs> run here. I'm ready I, for I it. Think
1: your your stat—he had eight minutes tonight. You, yeah, you had a he ruined going. my stat. It didn't come out. Didn't work out tonight.
0: Oh, that was another. That was another ridiculous Raptors play tonight when uh, he played Swedish Larry played perfect defense on Van Vliet, and Van Vliet did that double pump, whip off the backboard layup that went in. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah, there was there was a bunch of this. So this broke perfectly for Durant, and now probably you could probably get away to waiting until next Wednesday if he can play. I still don't know if we see him in this series. Like I really think there's a chance that ship has already sailed and they're just not telling us. But you know, you probably don't, you don't play him Sunday. You know you're going to get incredible refs on Sunday, right? The one thing we know for sure is they will get. Really good officiating on Sunday on the Warriors behalf. There'll be no more shoving a into the camera crew with no calls. Well, they'll be getting those calls. But if they can somehow split and take that back to Golden State for uh for the Wednesday game, that'll be a little bit little bit more appealing. We got a series house. What do we do? Do we get oh, out we, of this Warriors bet? What do we do?
1: I don't know. I, I I'm slightly concerned for on my Warriors bet right now. Would you said, think uh, of
0: Would you think of Sal's text? Because that got in my head too. Sal was basically well, well, like, "This is the 2017 Eagles all over again. This is a disaster." And I was like, "Oh shit! What if it is? What if this is just the that, 2017 Eagles again?"
1: No, nah, that 2017 Eagles was just one game with with a bunch of of fluky stuff. Like you know, the the this next game is is going to be uh, telling, interesting. But also remember, Milwaukee won their first two games at home, and right. then, I mean the the, the went off and won four straight. So we have to be patient with this. is my is is my gut instinct. We just need to be patient. the The, the uh, Warriors had all the rust. They shot forty four percent. If you are looking for pluses, you were worried. That I was worried about their ability to rebound. They out rebounded the Raptors, but the Raptors shot over 50%. They almost shot 51%.
0: Yeah, but Uh, the Raptors
1: also shot nearly 40% for three.
0: The turnovers really hurt. They, they, you know, the Warriors, a famously sloppy team. Sometimes tonight they were sloppy. 16 turnovers and, and it felt like the Raptors were gunning for them. They're very handsy.
1: handsy. It's a great point.
0: Handsy Raptors team. Trying to take charges, putting, doing a lot of inappropriate touching, and just kind of all over the place, trying to make things happen.
1: And the word is the Warriors' blush. My late oblige. Night, my night. This is my late night strategy with my wife. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, I do think that in that respect, especially, um, that's where the the Warriors rust, like them not having game speed kind of uh, reps. Yeah, they tried a lot of um, pocket passes in the lane and stuff. A lot of that that where they have cutters coming from the weak side, and the Raptors got their hands on those balls over and over and over again.
0: Are you ready for the possibility of we talk about the 2009 Kawhi run, like we talk about 2011 Dirk, and some of the, some of the other ones? Kawhi run, the 2019 Kawhi run, like it, like kind of. 10 years from now, we are like, ah, 2019 Kawhi, that was great. 2011, Dirk. 03, Duncan, remember that? Like, there's just these one-man wrecking crew runs where somebody just takes four straight rounds.
1: It's in play now. Well, you mentioned it earlier. We need to find out really how hurt Kawhi is because Golden State made a tactical mistake in overplaying Kawhi in the first half and trying to take him away. He was perfectly content to just swing the ball. He didn't He didn't care about being double teamed. He wasn't looking for a shot, it didn't seem like.
0: Yeah, he, reminds, um, he reminded me of myself before I retired from pickup basketball. <laughs> he doesn't have a full run in him, but he can pick his spots. That's where I was, at the tail end house. You, you kind well, of know you have a good half hour in you, and it seems like Ka- Kawhi, Kawhi, uh, Kawhi knows he has good half hour. So he's like, third quarter, turn on the Jets. Here I come. But they should just throw away the first quarter with them. Also, like
1: i just f- if he shoots three minutes. Go if ahead. he
0: shoots 35 times, great. He's putting on an incredible, uh, you know, physical and mental toll to just carry the offense like that. I, I'm so much worried about the other guys. I don't want any of the other guys to get going. Kawhi, if he goes That's- 16 for 30, whatever. But I, I the si- Siakam, 14 for 17 and beating them. In transition, he did that, what, five times tonight? Just out-sprinted them well, down, like the, it. down the court? That's the yeah. stuff that can't happen. Don't let those guys get going.
1: But, well, and and they got a whole bunch of opportunities from the Warriors missing shots and turning the ball over. That's what shooting right. under 44% and turning the ball over 16 times, that's what, what gets a guy like Siakam going. He got around the basket a bunch of times.
0: He a lot of fouls, to, You know, he
1: got a feel for those layups.
0: I mean, both teams shot over thirty free throws, which I never, I'm never a huge fan of. But um, did you feel patriotic at all during this game? It's an important question.
1: Patriotic? Yeah. What do you mean?
0: I don't want the NBA. I don't want the Lawrence O'Brien Trophy to go to Canada. We may never see it again. <laughs> I don't trust those people.
1: We what have are you to go through. About? We
0: have to go through customs to get in their country. Now they're going to have the Lawrence O'Brien Trophy. Is that what it's called? I don't want them to have it.
1: <laughs> Larry O'Brien. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I, I,
0: we got to protect our home turf house.
1: This is our country so. at stake. I think that's a dumb point. This is us against <laughs> them. I what I are you talking about? about? I don't want, I don't want the don't trophy care. to go to another country. We
0: got to save this I, I, thing.
1: I, I like the international NBA. <laughs> no, I I, I, know.
0: I I was joking. Obviously, isn't it, isn't it funny though, that there's no patriotism at all with this series? Like if this was the Olympics, we would there we'd be, be going next?
1: It's U.S. versus Canada. Mean, it's not really U.S. versus Canada. Well, why not? Because the Raptors have been in the NBA for however many years now.
0: Listen, all of their fans were Canadian. They're from another country, and we got to protect our turf house. This is ours. This is our trophy.
1: I I, th- I think you're trying to do a, do something here. I I just am not picking it up. I'm
0: doing a bit. Yeah, I think you're too, you're too late. You're too, it's too late. Too it's too late back on the too east coast late for me. Kyle, did you I get did... my bit? I got it. I got Kyle it. It's like got the it. Russians sort of thing, right? Well, what about you know, like Rocky Four? That's what I'm thinking. You know, <laughs> Just Apollo Creed coming out to James Brown, living in America. No, nothing.
1: I mean, are they going to do that in Oakland? They're going to come and you know, living in America.
0: Maybe the Warriors need to think about us. The Americans, maybe they got it. Maybe there's more at stake than just defending the championship. It's about defending the flag house. I okay. uh, this whole Toronto thing, though, with the with the people outside and all that stuff. It, I'm trying to think: has there been an American equivalent to this? Not in basketball, well, right? Have we had this many people
1: It's a it's a thing. Um, all all the teams. I've gotten smart. It feels like it's been going on like three or four years. Like there was forty five thousand people outside during the Stanley Cup in Washington last summer. Yeah. Um, watching the games out in the streets. You saw Milwaukee now to 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 the credit of the Raptors, they've been doing this Jurassic Park thing for it feels like ten years. I mean yeah. as long as they've been good, at least for like the last five or six years. Um and they, it seems like they have a great outdoor plaza for it.
0: Um well geez, I, it seems I, I like love you should, it.
1: I think it's a great phenomena.
0: Seems like you should just move there. Why don't you leave this country? We don't need we don't want you. Go live with your friends in Canada.
1: <laughs> Toronto's supposed to be great. Danny Chow wrote a great food diary. Well, I'm Hungry.
0: You know there's a Momofuku in Toronto.
1: It, it, it it's it is the Momofuku?
0: Yeah. Okay. There's a Momofuku t- Momofuku Toronto.
1: Another reason to love Toronto.
0: You know, speaking of Momofuku, I was talking to uh, Chang tonight. We were texting and there's, you know, we might go to Summer League again and in Vegas and we are talking about, you know, whether we want to do another live show and what the theme would be. And I was thinking about Chang, David Cho, um, Alan Yang, get like basically the all Asian podcast live show and call it, Sin sanity. What do you think? Sin sanity two thousand nineteen. Sin sanity because it's in Sin City. Sin City,
1: sin sanity, sin
0: sanity, and they just got they just do their thing. They talk about I mean all all of the things that they talk about when we go to our dinners. I'm the honor Asian at the dinner, but it's just that it's a live show, an hour and a half. Sin sanity two thousand nineteen.
1: No, I mean I would pay for that. I think there, it'd be. Will yes. there be food?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think there would be food, actually.
1: Okay, then I'd be, I would definitely. I think it.
0: there would definitely, absolutely be food. Yeah. Just
1: Chang and Cho by themselves—that's a show. That's an hour-long show. I mean, no offense to Alan Yang, he brings a whole other wrinkle to the to the table.
0: Right, but Cho Chang
1: and Cho, Chang and Cho have a, an established, legendary rapport.
0: Cho with. Cho with a live mic is probably not legal. Not definitely well, sure I, that that can actually happen in this country. It might happen in your you favorite just, country, Canada, but I don't know if it happens in America.
1: <laughs> you, you could, you, you just warn everybody. You say, you're know, like, this offensive things are going to be said.
0: Yeah, it might be like the disclaimer and Jackass before that whole thing about don't try the stunts. Yeah. I think you'd have to say something like that beforehand. But anyway, I mean,
1: Luis Case. Still doing acts, right?
0: Oh, no, Jesus! <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God! That. <laughs> no, that's funny. Uh, it, that's a true fact. Yeah, the show is not going to be worse
0: than Louis C.K. How about
1: that? <laughs> uh, Sin Sanity, get your tickets now. <laughs> <laughs> can Louis C.K. be part of it? <laughs> no. <laughs> definitely. He's looking
0: for work. <laughs> I think he's looking for work. Uh, the riggers, quack is available though. He's there, He'd be ready. Got to get him too. He's Good. he he's definitely in. This is great. I'm I'm going to work on this. I'm going to workshop this some more. I think Sin Sanity There's yeah. something there.
1: Um, I love it.
0: All right, house. Anything else? We got U.S. Open coming up. How many weeks?
1: Less than two weeks, it is, uh, wait a minute, today, Thursday, it's exactly two weeks from today, they will be teeing off at Pebble Beach. Coming up on this week's Fairway Rule, we have Chris Harrison from The Bachelor, and oh, the wow. Bachelorette, and all those franchises. He's, he is little known, uh, a, an avid golfer, and he's played Pebble Beach a thousand times. He plays it in every program we're going to talk about. He played it uh, a week ago. So I want to hear about what kind of condition Pebble Beach is in, and he's doing a podcast right now with Johnny Miller—real golf talk with Johnny Miller. Oh, Chris wow! Harrison, so he's coming on the show.
0: He's a big rewatchables fan. He wants to come on the rewatchables, apparently.
1: He—he he, he can come on every ringer show
0: Maybe we have Chris Harrison Day, and he's just on like eight shows. He's on House of Carbs. He's on Dual Threat. He's you on Jam Session.
1: He could. He could host. He could go between Louis C.K. and show. <laughs>
0: He could moderate it. House, do am I gonna lose more money on Tommy Fleetwood and John Rahm for this US Open? Or should I just burn the money in my backyard right now?
1: Yeah, take it in your backyard. Get that nice fire pit going. Take a stack of hundreds that you keep in it and just start throwing them in there.
0: I might throw our worries bet in there guys. too. I might throw our worries bet in I'm there. I'm
1: worried I just our worries bet. Like what I saw tonight.
0: Well, obviously you liked it because you love Canada. So congrats to that. I, congrats to I you and the Canadians.
1: Canada. I you love know. Canada. I love love Canada and I
0: love oh. <laughs> How's uh always a pleasure. We look forward to hearing you on Fairway Rolling this week.
1: Thanks, guys.
0: All right, bye. All right, we're going to get to Mallory Rubin in a second. First, having a high sports IQ, super important. You just saw tonight saw so it with Steph Curry. You know as a high sports IQ? That dude. Unbelievable offensive player and also has figured out all the angles on the court and how to take advantage of them. When it comes to hiring, it's harder to find the angles. But you don't need a high hiring IQ. You know you need ZipRecruiter. They're powerful technology. Scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. The tech doesn't stop there. It even learns what kind of candidates you like and invites more to apply. ZipRecruiter is so effective. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. My listeners can try it for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Also, since we're here, I wanted to mention Luminary, the Rewatchables 1999, our little spinoff series that we did from the, uh, the much beloved Rewatchables feed, which has The Hangover actually this week. We did Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me this week on Luminary. We are dissecting some of our favorite 1999 movies and also what they meant in a really great and really strange year in general, but a great year for movies. Uh, Austin Powers, The Spy That Shagged Me, if you want to check it out, two months of free access to Luminary's premiere content for free. If you sign up at luminary.link slash Simmons. After that is seven ninety nine per month. Cancel anytime. Terms do apply. All right. Let's uh bring in Mallory Rubin. All right, the mother of dragons, Mallory Rubin, is here. Hello. When, whenever I invite her on the podcast, I never tell her what she's talking about because she hates it. Uh not knowing. This she is hates a new extreme.
3: This is a new extreme, even for you. You literally have not told me anything about what we are here to discuss. I want to talk today. about Game of Thrones. Oh Yeah. No! yeah. <laughs> Game of Thrones. It's
0: been like 10 days. <laughs> it's your, great. Your successful podcast binge-bode. You were on hashtag TalkToThrones. I didn't really talk about it here other than with fellow dumbasses like Rosillo and Cousin Sal and
3: You had a re- like that. recurring weekly presence that I know. stirred the listening public. I know.
0: People did enjoy it. <laughs> I wanted to have a big picture conversation, though, about this this kind of chasm between the diehard Maniac fans. hmm and the people who just watched the show to watch it and could barely remember to have people were who, it seems like those people kind of enjoyed the last season and the last two seasons, whereas the diehards were like, well, this didn't happen. This didn't happen. They rushed this. Is it possible to enjoy that show while also not being disappointed by it?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, it's I'm, a complicated
0: question for you.
3: Yeah. I love Game of Thrones. It's one of the most important things in my life, sincerely. And so one of the things that I believe firmly is that part of what makes the story and the community around it so special is that there's no one right way to consume it. Like you and I relate to the story very differently. Yeah, that's true. For example, I remember character names. There's just one difference. I
0: love the brothels. You don't like the brothels. (laughs) I love
3: love the brothels. (laughs) It's Lots true. Of I said that
0: to the wrong person. We can talk about
3: Molestown whore anytime you want. Yeah,
0: great brothel stuff.
3: But I, so I would say, I guess, in response to that, that I, I, and this is not a way to avoid your question, which I will engage with momentarily, but just to reframe it a bit, maybe I don't necessarily think it's those two poles. I think it's a spectrum. Yeah. And I think that people fall all along that spectrum. Okay. And, I, I think that certainly maybe people who have read the books and have been really immersed in the world and the story for a long time and take it very seriously and have that extra level of anxiety about because George R. R. Martin has famously not finished the books, whether this is maybe going to be the only ending they ever get, which, of course, exacerbates whatever existential dread you have when you're thinking about what happened. That's there. Well, like, but I so think, the,
0: you think there's a second ending potentially that could really screw with people's heads?
3: Well, no, I think the second ending is now the thing that you crave is like the life raft that you see in the distance. The book. Yeah. So you almost but like then there a second are, chance. There are people who just watched the show who I think were also disappointed. And then there are people who read the books and and lo- liked the ending of the show a lot. And there are people who only watched the show and either liked it or didn't. I think there are a million different responses to it. And it's not necessarily totally contingent on how seriously you take it. I think it's probably contingent on what parts of the story matter most to you.
0: Fair. Can I throw this at you? Because I rewatched the first four seasons. We might have overrated it a little bit. I think it was an outstanding, really fun show, and it was fun to go in that world. But the show was always a little bit uneven. They weren't throwing a perfect game the first four seasons. They had unbelievable moments and episodes that in the moment were amazing, but then I think you remember them. Like... the, Ned, the Spoiler alert, but like Ned Stark's <laughs> demise, uh, things like yeah. that.
3: Season one, episode nine, Baylor.
0: And there was so much time between the seasons that you start to remember them more and more fondly. And it gets everybody's expectations to this fever pitch that this is just going to be Sandy Koufax in the 1966 right. World Series. And it's like, real life doesn't really work out that way. How many shows have actually done that? It's basically been, Breaking Bad is the only one that i remember that is successfully pulled off of last season where everybody was like right. great job really enjoyed it thank you right other than that it hasn't happened
3: i <sighs> I, I agree with you that the earlier seasons of the show are not perfect. And that perfect. as with anything else that people love and that a not only a cult but a sizable cult following builds up around, there's a little bit of like idealizing the thing in your mind. That said, I I rewatch Game of Thrones in full every season before the new season. I rewatch it constantly and it is damn good. Damn good. I agree. And, but but like okay, so on the one hand, I think still to this day, the season that I would rank last on the personal power rankings yeah. is season five, not season seven or eight. I think season five is the weakest season of the show. Agree. Conversely, my personal favorite season is season six, which is when they are beyond the book. So I am I am not actually one of the book readers who subscribes to the notion that the show what kind of in season lost six? something. Uh, I mean, what didn't happen in season six? It's
0: Were there brothels?
3: There are always brothels. Oh, great. Always brothels. You can always great. count on brothels. John's resurrection. Oh yeah, John's resurrection Hodor, is great. You know, Hodor yeah. holding the door. Hodor. The Winds of Winter episode, the season finale, my all-time favorite episode of television, Cersei blowing up the Sept, the John Parentage Reveal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Danny heading west at last. That
0: was a great season. Season six
3: is phenomenal. I think seasons three and four, along with six, are in the top tier.
0: I really like three.
3: Three is fabulous. I mean, the Jamie Brian bathtub scene at Harrenhal in Kiss by Fire, the same episode episode where John and Egret uh, famously fuck in the cave is uh, an iconic episode of television. It's truly, one truly of the top tremendous. 200
0: cave fucking scenes.
3: On Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the show has always had highs and lows, but again, I think the difference is more about pacing and plotting you know these Agree. moments in season seven and especially in season eight because of obviously how close we were to the end game in that sense as a viewer that you knew you were running out of time to learn something new or to understand something that you just didn't have those moments that you used to have to really fully understand why a character was making a choice i think that's the key difference so like something like danny and her decision to burn king's landing and her ultimate uh turn to queen of the ashes yeah i'm fine with that plot outcome just like I'm fine with Bran being king it's more about how we got there and the rushed nature of the journey and the final stages like I've brought this up on binge mode before but just think about this as a counterweight in season three Mance Raider tells the wildlings that he's going to light the biggest fire that anyone's ever seen it's like literally a season and a half until that happens yeah we have two scenes with Danny after she lights King's Landing on fire before she's killed. Two scenes with one of the primary protagonists in the show between a choice and the consequence of that choice. A season and a half to light a fire. Like, that is not the same nature of storytelling. It's a fundamentally different show in season seven and eight.
0: And that was my- Still
3: plenty to enjoy, but it's different.
0: Yeah, my biggest gripe, and I noticed it when I watched the first four seasons over again is, as you said, the pacing- was so effective to set up when something actually happened.
3: Think about the Red Wedding. When you now rewatch the show, you return to that season three. Every time you see Tywin Lannister writing a letter. You know now, as a viewer, what he's plotting, yeah, what he's planning. You can luxuriate in the fact that you get to witness the time and attention and care, not only that the characters in the world are, are paying to the decisions that they're making, but that the show was paying, and things like that stopped
0: happening, yeah, it's even I would say now people I wish it'd been ten episodes, yeah, I even think it could have been one more the The big thing for me is with Danny. Which Mm -hmm. I totally support. Everybody was so mad about the the heel turn. Yeah. I actually was really into it, and I supported it, and it made sense to me because it tied into all of her other experiences, and she had a real fear about, oh, no, they like this guy more. Mm -hmm. She just lost one of her dragons. I totally get it. I just wish there had been a couple more scenes with – you know, maybe she hooks up with Jon Snow again and then he's sleeping and she's just staring at him. And a couple of (laughs) those things, just at least plant the seed in my head more that the turn's happening. I still think the turn made sense.
3: Oh, I, I agree. I think that that outcome is completely justifiable. I think it's been heavily foreshadowed the entire run of the show, actually. And, you know, if you want like a two hour, 40 minute exploration of how and why, check out Binge Mode. But- lines of dialogue, choices that she makes. You know, in the past, and, and Tyrion actually, when when Tyrion and John are having their conversation, when John visits Tyrion in his confinement, Tyrion is simultaneously trying to sell John on why he needs to kill Danny. Yeah. And also basically reminding viewers of the decisions Danny's made in the past and what's different between the then and the now. Similarly, heading into episode five, the Bells, the the King's Landing battle, we have the like Smash cut audio montage in the previously on where we get all the lines of dialogue, or not all, but uh, numerous lines of dialogue where people in the past had expressed cons- either concerns about Danny's uh inclinations or about Targaryens and the danger of Targaryens. What are the house words? Fire Kyle and blood. I talk
0: about that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> the dangers of Targaryens. <laughs> that's Ty- that's Kyle's up. always the talking room. about fire. A lot of every in time the I room. see
3: Kyle, he's like, you know, every time a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin. Every time I see him, <laughs> but I view that. Not as like a very effective reminder of what they had done, and more as, oh, they they didn't spend time in the show in recent episodes reminding us of these things. So there's this compulsion to do it in the previously on. something like that is is just kind of I think emblematic. I completely agree that the groundwork was laid for Danny, but so they're the most some of the most effective scenes in season season eight things like, Sansa asking, "Well, what does a dragon eat?" and, and Danny saying, "Whatever they want." Yeah, like, that's actually that's terrifying that she thinks that that's okay, right? Whatever they want. Well, what about people? This is a person who wants chained two of her own dragons beneath the catacombs of Meereen because Drogon killed one kid, and now it's whatever they want, and I'm gonna burn a whole city. Similarly, in the battle itself, just don't have it happen after the bells ring and the city is surrendered. Like it's it's such a simple choice. Yeah. It's actually just mass murder at that point. It, it really is. Have Cersei be the person who has forced Danny to this terrible choice. I think that positioning Danny's character as a tragic figure who spent her entire life wanting to get home wanting to return to the place that she felt like other people had robbed her and her family of working so hard to make a difference in the world. Finally gets there, finally gets to the place where she's heard all her life. The people who you need are waiting there. And what does she find that those people like someone else better? That's like devastating. And then on top of that, she loses Jorah. She loses Masande. She loses Rhaegal positioning somebody in that situation as utterly despondent and lost and broken and unclear of where the line is anymore between right and wrong. How to navigate the divide between Liberator and Conqueror that she always sort of maintained but struggled to see the difference between. Had to have Barrison and Jorah and all of her advisors remind her what was right, what was wrong, what her father did and why. Those people are all out of her life now. So all of that, I think, makes sense. But at the end of the day, the bells rung. The Lannister soldiers threw down their swords and Danny burned the city. That, that's... That the nature of delivering that final reveal is a tougher sell. And then again, we have one episode after that to grapple with the consequences.
0: I still think if, if you lost Halo.
3: Oh, if, I would burn everyone If I down. was
0: killed, I'm trying to think one other thing that could happen. Lamar. <laughs> Lamar, Lamar Jackson couldn't throw a spiral anymore. It I do think fun. you could burn down a city potentially. Potentially.
3: Yeah. Again, I, I don't even, I don't object to, to the outcome. You see, Just, you burned down. I want down... more time.
0: You burning down a city couldn't happen because you'd be too worried about the animals.
3: That's true. You're the only
0: person who could watch Chernobyl and get more upset about the animals than the human beings with the skin rolling off their faces.
3: Episode four. Amazing show. Episode four of Chernobyl shook me to my core and forever changed me. Forever (laughs) changed me. I will never be the same.
0: I was was debating whether to get my wife into the show just so I could hit and camera her for episode four. It's... The most upsetting animal (sighs) animal on TV moment of all time.
3: The close-up of the sweet little orange tabby cat's face. (laughs) I just, when I close my eyes now, it's what I see. It was
0: Hunger Games (laughs) with
3: pets. (laughs) So upsetting.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you about, um, so we started Binge Mode, what was that, 2016?
3: 17 17? heading into yeah heading into season seven of game of thrones jump on thrones yeah
0: and this pod it started to gain momentum and then it just it just seemed like three times as many people were listening to this last season but i didn't really understand why that was happening even as it was happening do you feel like with the streaming stuff just everybody was caught up by this season what was going on what was just going on with the audience for this show? Because I went back and I was looking at the first couple seasons, mm-hmm. and this is back when TV was supposed to have a bigger audience than it right. does now, and it's like one-fourth of the audience for their premieres for stuff. Why did this show so belatedly blossom like it did? Is it because we didn't have a lot of other options for prestige TV, or it was just the buildup, the streaming, the binging? What was
1: it?
3: I think it's a combination of multiple factors. You know, we're in this era of boundless choice. You have so many things that you could be watching at any given moment in time. There are new things on Netflix and Amazon, like boot up crackle. If you want stuff is everywhere. HBO is dropping something new. And
0: were you paid by crackle for that?
3: No, but I just, you know, Jason and I like to think, well, maybe one day crackle will come ask us to write the Harry Potter TV adaptation, you know? Oh,
0: okay. Crackle. What's up? (laughs) Crackle name drop.
3: (laughs) Um, The, the, Monoculture, the idea of Game of Thrones being this last piece of monoculture up there with, like, Marvel, the MCU, and Star Wars as yeah. the only remaining things, and certainly the only thing on television, that the bulk of the people in your life who you know might also want to talk to you about this thing, I think that became a very real idea in people's minds. Even if the numbers, you know, like Juliet Littman, our cherished colleagues, often liked, likes to point out that as massive as the numbers are for Game of Thrones compared to... The, the modern television landscape, it's like nothing compared to say how many people watch MASH or yeah. how many people watched, it was just listening to Juliet's interview with Chris Harrison, the first season of The Bachelorette. You know, it's just a different-
0: I think the first Survivor was like, the final was like 40 million yes, or something. exactly.
3: So it's just a different era of consumption. And so I think that heading into season eight in particular, and because there was such a long wait, you know, you had nearly two years- People knew that this was their last chance to share in this thing together. Yeah. And it does really feel like the Super Bowl every week. And you don't want to be the one person who can't talk about the Super Bowl. So I think that's part of it. I think the other thing is that, again, like nitpicking storytelling choices and pacing and plot in season eight and season seven aside, Game of Thrones is a phenomenal achievement and something really special. And I think that, uh, a lot of the the critiquing comes from a place of love, actually. This is something that we've all invested in so deeply and love so fully that it's something we want to put under the microscope and examine in a way that we would examine a great work of literature, you know? So when you see other people who you trust and you care about and you value their opinion and they're just obsessed with this thing, you want to know why. You want to understand why. And I think people knew that this was their last chance to experience that in real time. It certainly wasn't happening like that and like you said like seasons one or two or three but i think the last couple seasons it just became a different kind of beast
0: yeah it i don't think a lot of that is fair i mean i agree with everything you said it's just like uh i saw somebody else made this point about the last avengers movie right like a lot mm-hmm. of shit in avengers didn't doesn't make sense and you oh, could pick apart yeah. but people are just like i'm in i'm gonna enjoy this It was like Game of Thrones became LeBron. Mm -hmm. It was just being held to this higher standard where it was supposed to be the smartest possible version of a television show or a content property. And I'm not sure that's fair for anybody.
3: I I think that you're right. I guess the difference is that, and I, I I love the Marvel movies. I loved Endgame. Endgame is being examined against the standard that MCU and other comic book movies and comic book proper stories have set which is, and I, I this is an, and sincerely no shade of comic books, which I love. I love comic book stories. I love superhero stories. You don't necessarily need to understand the physics and the full logic behind time travel to opt in. Yeah, You pay five minutes of due diligence to pretending to explain something, and the people are with you or they're not because they want to know if Captain America and Iron Man make it out alive, not because you've properly explained what happens if Hulk gets the time stone. You know, so...
0: They kind of glossed over it a little bit, right? Yeah, the
3: difference is, and this gets back to your earlier point about whether there's actually been a a change in the quality of the show across seasons, is that I think Game of Thrones did set that standard for itself. Mm. I, I actually think it did. I think it set the standard that it was going to produce something with a level of, even if it wasn't perfect, and some of those episodes are flawed, a level of care an ambition that is uncommon. And that that was in every respect, in the cinematography, in the direction, in True. the writing, in the acting, in the size of the cast. Just the scope of the ambition is not something that we've seen. So when that's the standard that you set, and then parts of what you get live up to that, for example, the visual storytelling in season eight is astonishing. It's like a titanic achievement that I can't believe is real. I cannot believe we saw all the things that we saw on our television screen. Arya going night.
0: through after everything gets burned down. Her reaching out to the pale mare, not knowing whether she's going to die or not, with the dust everywhere. Like that was fucking amazing.
3: When the hound looks up the staircase at the mountain, and yeah. Drogon flies over, and then he passes, and you see that the sky is on, on fire. Season, yeah, I'm
0: in on season eight. This, I really thought some of that stuff was incredible. It
3: was, but I I think that. As with so many things in life, there's room for nuance. That would be my case, You know, yeah, that's fair. You can appreciate and admire the spectacle and the scale, which I do, and still ask questions about, the story. I don't think that there's any reason you can't... They're they're not mutually exclusive. Like, I can say that the shot of Rhaegal and Drogon above the clouds in The Long Night is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen on television, and also say that I don't understand how the people standing in the dragon pit, who have advocated for John never brought up the fact that he was the rightful heir when they were talking about who should be king. Both of those things can be true at
0: once. Was Rhaegar or that was Stan or Bob? (laughs) Which one was that one? That was the stronger one? (sighs) Listen, the only thing that really was ridiculous and deserved to be nitpicked to the bitter end was uh, Tyrion with the handcuffs on telling everybody who the next king should be. I think they meant that to be almost kind of funny. Uh, I think that whole scene was written. You know, you had the one guy stand up. Like, there's real there's, attempts yeah. for comedy. Emir's
3: yes. pitch to be king is uh, iconic. Don't you
0: think they just wanted that to be kind of like oh, my God, This the wheels have come off, but in a good way. And no. instead it was like the wheels kind of just came I off. I don't
3: think so. I mean, I think that the moments of levity, like Edmure making his pitch, you know, this dude this dude who has literally been in a fucking jail cell for years is like I'm a war veteran. yeah, And I'm definitely the one that you should listen to, even though I have not been a part of this story in any meaningful way since Jamie Lannister threatened to catapult my baby uh, across into the castle. And then having a moment like Sam basically pitching democracy and everybody laughing and Edmure and Roy saying, should the dogs get a vote? Should my horse get a vote? That was funny, definitely. And deliberately so. I don't think anything Tyrion did was supposed to play as comedy. I think it was supposed to be this moment of uh, fulfillment and redemption for a character who had kind of lost his fastball. And I was not clear on basically anything that got those people to that point, how Grey Worm had military control over the city, if he did, why he didn't kill John when he arrested him, why anybody was listening to him in the first place, why he then gave up the control that I don't understood how he had, why anybody was listening to Tyrion, how Bran went from, I don't want, I'm not really a person anymore, to why do you think I came all this way? Sansa, the only one acting rationally in that scene, insisting on Northern independence, okay, and then... The Prince of Dorne, who literally was not even named. We don't know what Dornish family he's supposed Prince to be from. A P.O.D. And Yara <laughs> Greyjoy, who is the one character who actually had a formal agreement with Daenerys in place that the Iron Islands would get their independence. That was part of their pact. Right. Dorne rebelled against the Targaryens for a century, have insisted on their independence across Westerosi history. Those two people never say, wait a minute, you're giving her the north. What about our kingdoms? They just nod along? Like, Jason said this on Talk of Thrones the night after the finale. I believe Chris said something like, you know, what's going to be the first thing that Bran and Tyrion have to deal with? And Jason was like, war. <laughs> because all those people are going to realize they also should have asked for independent kingdoms. That stuff was just Sansa, too rushed.
0: Sansa kind of grabbing her grabbing her north.
3: Sansa, Sansa I, I applaud
0: well, the big winner of the whole season eight was- uh, The Starks, the Wolves. No, the, Sophie Turner. Is that who plays that? Oh, House yeah. It?
3: The Summer Sophie.
0: Incredible. Great stuff. Just incredible. She's an icon. <laughs> um, I have this email for you. I had to read you. I thought this oh, was boy. great. Okay. From Brian Garwood. Did the GOT guys predict Kawhi winning the finals? Will we have two bland personalities win the two most anticipated games of the summer- <laughs> Think about it. Both unexpected, (laughs) forgotten first season, major leg injuries, switched teams, low-key, great under pressure, and came into the league with fairly low expectations. He said, I got to hear you and Rossello discuss this. I think you're a better candidate. I don't know. Kawhi and Bran, Bran the Broken. Kawhi the Broken. I kind of like this. Now I'm starting to think Toronto could win the finals.
3: That's interesting. I said this on desktop last week. I think that the ending of Game of Thrones – Stark centric, you know. Ghost is back with Jon. Mm. Arya out there exploring the sunset sea. Bran, even though he says I'm not a Stark, ruling the six kingdoms. Sansa, independent kingdom in the north. The end. The seventh book initially in Martin's series was supposed to be called "The Time for Wolves." So a lot of yeah. Thrones heads are calling this "The Time for Wolves." I think this uh, predicts the rise of the Timberwolves. That's the that's oh, the wow. basketball uh, comp I'm going wow. with. Wolves time. They're so, up.
0: Towns. All right, that's interesting. <laughs> towns would be Jon Stark. So. How many times did you cry during the season?
3: Oh, countless, countless. I mean,
0: what was the biggest cry for the season finale?
3: Oh, I, <laughs> I'm gonna cry now thinking about it. Watching John, I mean, <laughs> I just,
0: John and Ghost.
3: Oh my God! Well, Ghost that was the me one smile. ear missing. My sweet ghosty boy, I love him so much. John riding off into the north. I mean, it killed me. I, it's feel that part feels very fitting. I wish that he had sent himself to the North. I wish that he had abdicated his throne. I think all of the Maester Eamon comparisons that we got in this season, something like hearing Pod sing Jenny's song, which has a connection to Duncan Targaryen who abdicated his throne. There were all these clues that Jon was going to formally renounce. Obviously, he kept saying to Danny, I don't want it. But I think after she died, having him say, no, I actually don't want it. I'm going to send myself out into the wilderness. Given the importance of choice as a theme in the story and identity and the you choosing your own course over someone else defining your life for you. I think that would have been really powerful. But John heading off beyond the wall. Is he now the king beyond the wall? Is he going to go and desert the Night's Watch and range out in the north? And, you know, Tormund said to him when they parted at Winterfell in episode four, you've got the the north in you, the real north. And (laughs) that that killed me.
0: Does he make it to the 1400s? (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> also, everything with Jamie and Brianne. I mean, I, when Jamie knighted Brianne in the second episode that of That was season, your hardest sobbing. I was you a, a puddle. wreck. I was a wreck. That's then, one of the best ones, scenes in Game of Thrones He knighted history.
0: her and then he he knighted her if you get oh, my drift. Boy, did he. He gave her a good knighting <laughs> a couple episodes later. <laughs> so you didn't like my theory that she was pregnant and they decided to cut it out right mm. at the end. No, too
3: many pregnancies I thought pre- she was writing the Wikipedia already. page. You know, we have obviously the Cer- Cersei pregnancy plot. Gilly revealed that she was pregnant. I was certain that Danny was going to be pregnant this season. I we had so much, so much checkoffs. I have a barren womb and can't have babies. Yeah. Talk at, in season seven between you pass Danny out and Jon. Three
0: dragon eggs in one fiery night. That's, <laughs> your womb is never really the same after that. There's
3: a whole quickening womb plot in the fifth book that indicates that her belief that she can't have children is is misfounded and wrong. And I thought that that would happen in the, in the mm-hmm. show. I don't know what changed between seasons, but clearly many things changed between season seven and eight, because like the whole golden company thing. And again, this is something Jason and I've spent a lot of time talking about. Jeez. This army is built up as, and the, the the army plays a big role in the, in the, in the books, this sword army fable, never broken a contract and except they do once in the books, but they get onto the show. Harry Strickland is introduced as a show character And they're obliterated in like 12 seconds. I couldn't believe it. No wonder they didn't bring the elephants. It's not worth the CGI to just, especially by the show standard of what's worth CGI with animals. That was bizarre. So I have to assume that not having Danny be pregnant ultimately was just another change between seasons. Maybe they thought it was too dark, but Cersei died while pregnant. Talisa was stabbed in the stomach, at the red wedding while pregnant. It's not like they haven't done that before. So I don't know.
0: What's your relationship mentally with uh, Benioff and Weiss right now?
3: They created something that is one of the most important things in my life, and I will be forever grateful. I wish there that we go. had had a few That's more episodes same. in season seven and eight. That's all. That's a
0: great answer. Um, I'm
3: trying to be positive. Was
0: your life the last year and a half just meeting people? Actually, you don't really leave your house, but if you did, was it a lot of people bringing up <laughs> Game of Thrones? Like oh, the guy yeah. delivering Postmates. Like, hey, what do you think is going to happen in season eight?
3: As you know, I make Adam answer the door when Postmates <laughs> arrives. Uh, yeah. A lot of Thrones talk. A lot of Harry Potter talk. I get the occasional Joe Flacco comment, you know, from the. Uh,
0: <laughs> now it's like, what's up with Lamar Jackson?
3: <laughs> like, Can I,
0: he not throw a spiral anymore? What's going on? He'll be fine. He'll be fine.
3: I believe it's going to be a great.
0: He'll be fine. Season a great eight decade was of Lamar.
3: Fine. I believe he's going to be great. I believe in the offense. Hollywood Brown. Okay. First round draft pick drafted a lot of speed at skill positions, signed Mark Ingram, Earl Thomas on defense. Team. Yeah, it's gonna um, be good.
0: And binge mode is going to take a break for a little bit, but then we're going to come back with something.
3: We are indeed going to come back with something.
0: We're back in the in but the what? planning room. But what? The highlight of all of this was the Baltimore Sun wrote a feature about you, <laughs> 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 and yeah, and then it was in the newspaper, and your mom bought fifty copies.
3: She was
0: just mailing them just on a street corner, handing them out to random people in Baltimore.
3: She mailed me so many copies. She sent me a a really adorable picture of her holding the paper with just a big smile on her face. That was
0: great. I love that.
3: She sent a text message thread. I I don't know who like 70% of the phone numbers on this thread are. She then also (laughs) sent an email to, I think, almost everyone in her life. She posted it on Facebook. It's precious. But my dad is very excited. Got a text message from my grandma with all sorts of emoji. It was the the Baltimore contingent was was delighted by it. It was very sweet. It's very sweet. The,
0: the parents get so adorable with this stuff. My dad's house in Boston. You walk in, you go in the bathroom, and there's like two different pictures of me and Obama. <laughs> and then you go into the bathroom, and it's four different framed. Th- no, like no matter where you're peeing, if you look around, I'm just staring at you in some form, and I'm always like, this is psychotic. Like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, you'll understand. You'll understand one day.
3: Does it have to be in the bathroom?
0: Like, four pictures of me in the bathroom. Like, he's a psycho. But he's like, you'll understand someday. But I was thinking about that. Sitting room.
3: Or (laughs) or something. Yeah. You know?
0: Maybe like the fourth floor of your house or whatever. Sort of
3: dining nook, perhaps. It's weird.
0: (laughs) But. When so, when Ben becomes a professional wrestler someday, I'm sure I'll have pictures of him with the yeah. WWE belt. You'll stuff. have
3: them lining the trampoline basketball net no out question. in your yard. No <laughs>
0: question. Um, all right, so we're back. We're back. We're plotting mm-hmm. the next big binge mode thing. We are, and that's it. All we right. are. I'm glad you're in a good space with Game of Thrones. I was a little worried about you. I love because I, I was saying to somebody, it was like the equivalent of if the NBA just ended, like if this was the last NBA Finals ever. And I had to just, like, I have seven more games potentially of Toronto, Golden State, and then I never get to watch the NBA again.
3: Here's how I'm processing that. Yeah. On the one hand, this has been a monumental thing in my life, and this particular facet of it is over, and that's devastatingly sad to me, and I feel yeah. like empty and alone. However, you remember old Nan? Season one, she's sitting by Brand's bedside oh, telling yeah. stories. Okay. Old Dan. One of my favorite quotes in the books. His old nan saying to Bran, The stories are like the stories are, they exist, and you can return to them whenever you want. Mm. The show will always be there for us. The books will always like be friend. there for us. The fandom will always be there for us. I will always enjoy rewatching, rereading, returning to the world. And hey, maybe we'll get another book. George, I believe in you. We're going to get spinoffs. Who knows? Who That's knows how what I the future is? The, we'll Larry be in the, world Bird, forever.
0: the Larry Bird Celtics in the mid 90s. When the Celtics were just rock bottom, two, we, two of our best guys died, and we were just <laughs> awful. And we would go out, and the J Bug and I, we would brought up my I had a nice big bong at that point. This is when I was our respect, smoking a lot more pot. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, yes, we would sure.
0: smoke pot. This we is when would store 24, get pot. Sour Patch Kids, <laughs> and we would watch like an old bird basketball game. We just kind of go back in time, back when the Celtics mattered. This will be you in Game of Thrones.
3: I am a fan of. All the things you mentioned, specifically Sour Patch Kids, let's go with that. (laughs)
0: Jenny's. (laughs) You're the only, Mallory, for the people listening, is the only person I've ever known who postmates ice cream.
3: I do. It's embarrassing. I'm not ashamed, though. Recently, Got a new order. Some great seasonal offerings are back. Strawberry buttermilk (laughs) on the menu. It's wonderful. The sweet cream with the biscuit and the peach jam. One of my favorites back on the menu. Put down a pint of that while watching The Bachelorette the other night. Felt great.
0: (laughs) This is great. So what media are you going to consume now?
3: Um, I'm rewatching Deadwood right now. You got now. Chernobyl. Yeah. you rewatching Deadwood. Rewatching Deadwood, a, a truly so spectacular television achievement. I'm all in on Chernobyl, as you know. I got to catch up on Billions, of course. Yeah. That's been a
0: hard Bob. A hole
3: in my life. I can't wait to, to learn who Hard Bob is. I miss Wags. Miss everything about Billions, so I'll binge that. I'll catch up, hopefully, in time for the Koppelman finale. I know Koppelman has taken
0: that, like, legitimately personally, that you're 10 episodes behind now.
3: It's, it's not something it's a, I want.
0: It's, like, actually physically hurts.
3: Me. I didn't choose the timing of Game of Thrones and Billions. The world did that to I me. I don't you know, know if they did either can't wait to catch up on Billions and then I'm excited about a lot of the stuff that's Succession. coming soon. Succession, obviously love. I'm really excited about Good Omens, Stranger Things. I, I This is a Ooh, little Big further little off. Big Little Lies is Big, really good. Big I little saw lies. the first three eps. Can't wait. Can't wait for Big Little Live, the ringer yeah, after show. Big Little show. Live? And a little bit further down the road, His Dark Materials, the HBO show that's coming up, I assume sometime in the fall. I don't have a date yet. That I, Those are some of my all-time favorite books. I cannot wait What about Watchmen? For that. Does Watchmen have yeah, potential? I'm excited for Watchmen too. I, I love the Watchmen comic. And then the and,
0: big kahuna way down the road if they don't fuck it up is Lord of the Rings. You I, figure like Amazon, the richest company in the world.
3: I cannot wait for that. Spend so
0: much money on it and just that could be great for us.
3: It's going to be fabulous. Cogman, one of the... Uh, producers on Game of Thrones Brian Cogman the the, the George R. R. Martin has called him the third head of the dragon along with Benioff mm. and he's he consulting on the Ring show I think that uh, the Lord of the Ring show is going to be special young Aragorn here we go let's do well, it the
0: biggest win you had this year is my son watching all the Harry Potter movies
3: it's incredible
0: yeah where did was... he
3: where did he net out on favorite characters? still Dobby and Hagrid yeah
0: yeah, whoever they are those are his sweet. favorites yeah, very sweet
3: when will he read the books? when will um, you read the books?
0: when he learns how to read about five years from now <laughs> <laughs> age 16
3: <laughs> audiobooks
0: could, could, that could be his future. you go right
3: from the audiobooks into the uh, hmm. podcast we just have where we hundreds go. of hours of audio
0: um, the mother of Dra- would you call Danny? the queen of ash?
3: queen of the ashes
0: queen of the ashes yeah. well you're the mother of dragon I hope you never become the queen of the ashes <laughs> Mally Rubin thank you thank you Bill Hey, when it comes to your underwear, feeling cool is pretty cool. If you're wearing Fruit of the Loom's cool zone fly boxer brief, you'll be feeling both cool and cool right now. What's better than feeling cool and cool, Kyle?
2: I don't know. Nothing. I don't know.
0: Fruit of the Loom upgraded their cotton boxer brief by adding a ventilated mesh fly. Ventilated mesh fly.
2: God, I'm jealous.
0: To promote airflow and support right where you need it most. Where do you need it most, Kyle? I would say right there. That sounds perfect. The Cool Zone Fly Box Briefs, consumer tested, expertly designed. Each pair features dual defense technology, designed to wick away moisture and defend against odor, keeping you dry and fresh. No ride up legs, breathable mesh. The Cool Zone Fly Box Brief, made for guys who want to stay cool and comfortable all day long you know i'm one of those guys that i never change my underwear and i was like i have like the same 10 to 12 things that i wear over and over again i rolled the dice i tried these guess what super comfortable Really, I they're not like lying I use them. as yeah. a guy who takes like the my bus, fly zone hot was hot in there. really good shape. that's yeah. what i'm worried about is my Yeah, fly especially zone. in the summer months you, oh, you need things to be a little cooler in certain places if you could use a little extra ventilation in your life check out uh, fruit.com And you can check out the ventilated fly for yourself. Use the code bill to receive an additional 10% off their current promotion of 20% off the cool zone fly boxer briefs. Once again, that is fruit.com promo code bill. And by the way, uh, while we're here, Ringer NBA show is cranking all the way through the finals. We have a whole schedule. We have a bunch of our Ringer people that are going to be on. And uh, they're posting podcasts right after the games. I'm not going to be posting a podcast after every finals game, but if you want that immediate reaction stuff, uh, follow the Ringer NBA Show and great hosts like John Gonzalez, Blues fan Chris Vernon, Kevin O'Connor, whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of our Ringer people. So you can listen to that. Speaking of the Blues, I invited John Hamm. Diehard St. Louis Blues fan to come on the uh, podcast, but he's traveling for a movie. If the series goes into the later games, we'll see if he has the courage to come on. That John Hamm, um, I don't know. I told him he lost, he lost to the uh, the Red Sox in 2013 with his Cardinals, and he lost Ben Affleck at the end of the town. So he's lost his last two against Boston. So there you go. Not to mention Super Bowl 30, uh, 36. Yeah, come on, John Hamm anyway uh we're bringing now in David shoemaker to talk about wrestling here we go all right on the line right now longtime ringer Grantland colleague host of the mass man show and the ringer podcast Network as well as the press box which is is uh keep an eye keep an eye on the press box over the next couple of weeks FYI all good things not bad things uh David is here how are you I'm doing great
2: man doing great this is a big week for for wrestling nerds like me
0: yeah I just we were talking before he came out and I was like I hate doing the same topic on my podcast that you do on The Masked Man Show because you're going to do that with better people. But this was a really, really, really important week. And I I really feel like something seismic has happened. And we have seen now a contender that was carefully put together, carefully thought out, and really well executed make a real run at the WWE for the first time, I think, this century, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I want to say that I'm glad it it makes it makes me feel good when you want to step on my podcast because it validates uh, the craziness with which I follow this stuff at times. You know, it's easy to work myself into a shoot in the wrestling parlance about this stuff and convince myself that that Seth Rollins promo was the biggest thing that's ever happened in wrestling history. But this is one of those moments where when you text me, I'm just like, oh, good. This is as big a deal as I thought it was. yeah, so all elite wrestling, AEW just started up. They they they've you know been announced for a little while. They had their first pay per view, although not under the AEW banner a while back, called All In. Um, it was just a you know a, supposedly a one off event. Then they linked up Dusty Rhodes, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, these three big, these four big wrestlers, uh, going to business together. Hook up with Tony Khan, the co owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, and they start this company. This past Saturday night was double or nothing, their first official pay-per-view under the AEW banner, and they have a TV time slot that's fallen TNT. Um, they're not gonna go head to head with WWE. They're, they repeat over and over again that they're not trying to be this sort of WCW style competition. But for wrestling fans, this That'll is change. just it yeah, and this is a huge deal. I mean it's it's not you don't have to go head to head on a Monday nights to be competition, especially not in the, you know, over the top era. This is another giant wrestling company with billion-dollar backing, and it's a really, really enormous thing for the industry that it's happening.
0: Yeah, and if you're chasing the lineage of this stuff, the the Monday Night Wars famously in, like, 97 range really get the get this going. It even starts 96, but 96, 97, 98 is when wrestling and the internet collide in a big way for the first time. Mm-hmm. And you have this whole community now that has all of these – online buddies to complain about stuff with and talk about and angles and rumors and gossip and it just explodes and it's awesome and everybody who likes wrestling just really enjoys this one era and then it becomes a lot of complaining and why do they do it this way why'd they screw up this angle why'd they screw up that angle leads this whole other era of the wrestling for the first time actually kind of listening and wink-winking some of the stuff that people are talking about online Yeah. But the one common theme for those 20 years are man, it would be fun if somebody just challenged WWE correctly. Not because we don't like WWE. It would just be fun to have somebody that said, all we care about is the wrestling and having awesome shows. And I shouldn't have to watch all Japan and all these other places. (laughs) If I want like my old school wrestling fix, why do they have to have the three hour Raw? Why do they have to have, you know, the terrible promos, all this stuff? How about just wrestling? There's, a, there's an idea. And all the characters that got squandered over the years and people that we thought were really good that never really hit their stride, WWE. WWE was winning. They were doing great. I love it. I went to WrestleMania. My son is all in. Like It's not like we don't like WWE, but it was always like it would be fun if there was one more challenger. And now it feels like we have it, David Shoemaker.
2: <laughs> it sure does. I mean, listen, We you talk about the Monday Night Wars era and how that was the era that all these wrestling fans love, it's not just us. WWE loves that era, too. Half of the content on the WWE Network right. is in reminiscence of the Monday Night Wars. I mean, sure, part of it, most of it's that they won, and they're glorifying themselves in the process, but that, com- listen, there's two big things that mark some of the greatest moments in wrestling history. One is technological leaps. You know, when the cable TV came on, that's when wrestling took the big jump. On an, there, there have been numerous examples over the years, but the other thing is competition. Yeah. WWF would never have been WWF without the NWA, you know, going— without it trying to take over for the NWA. They would have never been what they are today if they didn't have WCW going at them on Monday nights. And then they tried to create their own competition by doing a brand split between Raw and SmackDown. Now they had this sort of in-house competition from NXT, and they, previously they had ECW. But they they're never going to have competition like real competition. And for years— It was there was this specter of TNA wrestling, which became impact wrestling, which sort of took that spot and more than anything, I think just squatted on squatted on a TV time slot and made it impossible for anyone else to compete because they underachieved or they they weren't able to achieve up to the level of a WCW or something and it discouraged other competition. But now we finally had this other thing. And you're right. I mean, part of it's just real wrestling, right? And part of it is is old school. And we saw this at Double or Nothing on Saturday night. We saw Cody Rhodes versus Dustin Rhodes, the two children of of Dusty, the the, the, the legend, go head to head in the bloodiest grudge match you could imagine. Of, that of course, spoiler alert, ended with them, you know, embracing at the end of the match. I mean, yeah. this is old emotional, school, old school emotional, invested wrestling, and seventy five percent of the power of that was in these beautiful promos that they cut before the event on, that were on YouTube. And I mean, that was really cool. And then the other half of it is this very, I guess, in wrestling terms, this kind of ultra modern style of sort of post real, post, post, um, you know, kayfabe trying to make you believe it's real, the super flippy, like all over the place. But really it's taken to this, this, this extent of like pure athletic ballet that is, you know, throw suspension of disbelief out the window. It's just amazing exercise. I mean, it's just this amazing spectacle and they do that too. And, And if they find a way to sort of bridge those two things and make it into a compelling weekly program, Well, I mean, they're gonna they're they're gonna really give WWE a run for their money.
0: And competition, as you said, is a good thing. It 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 is it is now WWE keeps people on their toes and makes them. You know, sometimes you get fat. You look at anything that has kind of uh, anybody that had a huge lead that kind of fucked it up. You know, and not just wrestling. you look at like Sports Illustrated, which just got sold. I don't even really understand that sale. You and Curtis (laughs) looked down in PressBox. It's like kind of a sale, but not really. And Uh it's like Sports Illustrated had a massive lead on everybody. And what happened? They never figured out the internet and they never figured out podcasts. They never figured out anything. And eventually everybody else caught up to them. ESPN to some degree, you know, they basically threw away three, four years there this this decade where they just kind of didn't have their shit together with the streaming. Now they're belatedly into it. Rolling Stone, you know, they have this huge, huge foothold and they just kind of get old and they don't really realize they have to reinvent themselves as pop culture on the internet. So this happens. I don't feel like this was dire straits for WWE by any means. I mean, in a lot of ways, 2018 was one of the best years in the history of the company mm-hmm. where they had... You know, big stars. They had a monopoly. The WWE network did really well, um, but then all of a sudden it started to flip near the end of the year, for a lot of different reasons. One of which was um, not as many stars as they normally had. They made a big bet on on the woman's side. That it's still unclear whether you know whether you can really have these main events with with uh, with the women wrestlers. That it's going to resonate with people. We have we seen it yet?
2: No, I mean we saw it at WrestleMania. I think that was an unqual—I mean, an unqualified success. But I think that you it's, think the think, match was well. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure that the match qual. I mean, I thought the match was great. I'm not sure the match was that. It, I mean, I think that more than anything, that match suffered from going on at midnight. You know, I mean, <laughs> right, I, I don't, right, the
0: five-hour card. Yeah, that was the yeah,
2: problem. longer than that. But but I think that I think that with women's wrestling, it's I think it's. There is a lesson there that w- that has been neglected on the men's side too over the past decade with WWE, which is just you have to make matches matter. And if matches matter, like they th- like I feel like the Becky Lynch angle leading into WrestleMania did, then that can be a main event and that can be a big deal. But you True. can't just you can't just wave the banner of women's wrestling and people and expect people to line up. Yeah, you, um, the,
0: the storytelling aspect was just all over the place, which we'll talk about Dean Ambrose's uh, podcast with Chris Jericho in a second, but. I think that's what they really lost. They had so much talent that they could just say, Hey, we're really gonna get the women's wrestling side going. Let's go. And they add all these wrestlers and then half of them, the stories are just completely all over the place. And then on the men's side, you have uh, you know, you have a couple injuries, the Roman Reigns thing they didn't expect, right as they're about ready to bring the shield back. But, you know, they there was also people they mismanaged, and which leads us to AEW again dean ambrose who was somebody that i always thought was really good and they could never quite figure out what his character was and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden he'd be a bad guy again it's like what happened why is he what's he angry about why is he declaring war on people i don't understand it um but it was still somebody and was a really good wrestler and was good at selling the other guy and all the stuff you need to have like a real you know a stalwart AEW takes him and that's somebody you can build part of your business around. I think. I think he can be one yeah. of the best four guys in AEW pretty quickly and for a long. I think time. he could
2: have been one of the best four guys in WWE. I mean, listen, you mentioned ESPN earlier, and maybe this is a tortured comparison, but what WWE has done basically since uh, has tried to do basically since you know The Rock left is make the brand more important than any of the names of the wrestlers, right? Yeah. And that was that's a criticism that was leveled uh, with I mean legitimately at ESPN for a long time when they were letting their biggest name anchors walk if they became if they wanted too much money or if they thought they were too big for SportsCenter or whatever. Um, and WWE has seen a procession of potential big stars pass, pass through and and a lot of them are still there. But, you know, like, there's, there's a ceiling on, you know, someone like Daniel Bryan can momentarily transcend the sport, right? But there's only one John Cena in the past, you know, 15 years or whatever. CM Punk was going to be that guy, but then CM Punk got disgruntled and he left, right? Yep. I mean, there's there, you can look at a Seth Rollins, you can look at Roman Reigns. They're trying to make that guy, but in the environment, it's become impossible. And Dean Ambrose, listen, Dean Ambrose is not The Rock, you know, but and he's not Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I've taken, you know, some crap for comparing him to Stone Cold Steve Austin in the past. Because Dean Ambrose is not a consistent, has not been a, a purely consistent performer, but when he was the champion and he was standing in the middle of the WWE ring, the fans reacted to him in a way that's really, really hard to put words to. I mean, it, he was he is a real charisma when he's put in that spot that almost nobody else in the wrestling business has. And you wonder why... There was this inconsistency. You wonder why you never knew what he was doing well. He answers that on the you know Jericho podcast, and that's because he and Vince had different were, were different ideas of who this character was. Yeah, you know. And if you have if someone's you know writing for you know if if you know if Kevin Hart and The Rock switch roles in Central Intelligence, it doesn't make any sense. You know, because you, it just, it, you're writing for a different for a different person to play the part. It's not going to work. Now in AEW, he popped up there at the end of the again, spoiler alert, at the end of the show, at the end of the main event, and went at Chris Jericho, who's there now, and Kenny Omega, who, you know, according to a lot of people, is the best wrestler in the world, and who, by the way, wrestled an entire main event match with a broken nose on Saturday. Oh, my God. Um, wh- he popped up there, and immediately it legitimizes the company, and it re-legitimizes a guy who, you know, had his ups and downs in WWE.
0: And it's also one of the old, oldest wrestling moves in the book to pull these slightly disgruntled never was used totally correctly guy from the other place. Oh yeah. And just get and just move all your chips behind him. What's interesting to me about what's happening here and why I think it's different is they're they're doing it correctly. So all right, what does that mean? First of all, it looks really good. It looks really professional. It's mm-hmm. like well thought out. It looks like they've spent money. It's not like you know, like something like ECW, which I, I really enjoyed back in the day in the nineties, but it always felt a little bargain basementy, you know, a little cable accessy. Sure, um, everything about it was cut in corners, and I, I think that's mostly been what we've had with contenders, except for the Ted Turner and 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 the NWA WCW, like that whole world. Um, the the quality is there from the behind the scenes standpoint, and then the second thing is. You know, Tony Khan, who I I had talked to a couple times way back when, really haven't talked to him in a couple of years, but um, is the opposite of Vince McMahon, I would say, in every conceivable way, um, but loves wrestling and really obviously cares about it and has put a lot of thought into it, what yeah. works and doesn't work. Sure. And you can see it in the blueprint. Every move they've made has been smart. And I think there's room for both. I, I mean, it's... For me, it's like the more wrestling, the better. That's quality. I just look at how my son reacted to it. I was with my daughter all weekend in a soccer tournament and my son was at a baseball tournament with my wife. So we didn't see the pay-per-view. But the next day I found out about the Dean Ambrose thing in the morning. And so I FaceTimed him and I was like, Hey, do you, you see what happened in the AEW thing last night? He's like, I watched all the clips. And like, he was already already in. (laughs) Like, he watched all of it on Twitter. He knew it was going on. Like, they've already gotten him. He's 11. Um, So he has WWE, he has AEW, and he has NXT, which he loves, which we shouldn't, you know, gloss over. NXT has basically become, in a weird way, the rival to WWE, even though they're owned by the same thing. And now AEW, I would say that's their competition coming out of the gate, right? They have to beat NXT first
2: yeah, um, yes, I think that's right. I mean, NXT doesn't have a TV deal, and there's some there was some discussion that that might be part of a of a Fox you know package or whatever when they were making that. and I don't think they've any of that's been inked out. It's just on the WWE network. um I mean I which, meant
0: more for like from a coolness, the pe- the real wrestling fan type of people. yeah, they have I think, to kind of steal that corner from wC or from uh, NXT or at least share it.
2: I think ironically, I would have said without a doubt if you had asked me a year ago, that the biggest con- that the biggest problem, you know, the the biggest hurdle facing AEW was being better than NXT. I think that in the past year, there's been a little bit of a downswing in in fan feelings about NXT. And I'm really, you know, making a lot of assumptions here, but I think that the hype has gone down a little bit just because the biggest stars of NXT have continually been
0: yeah poached.
2: misused on the main ro- poached yeah. onto the main roster and then misused there. And it's sort of hard to get yourself all invested in you know adam cole or whoever when you're just when you feel with great certainty that he's going to wind up you know jobbing out to to you know drew mcintyre or whatever for five weeks on raw i mean it's it's uh and so nxt is a little bit you know a little bit it's a little bit harder of a of a comparison now but i do think that that they, they do have to go head to head with nxt with the perception of nxt and i think partly that's why you saw cody Rhodes sort of take a shot at triple h um the only way they really addressed WWE besides the existence of Dean Ambrose, right. AKA Johnny John Moxley, is was Cody taking a sledgehammer to a Triple H style throne uh, before his match. So, I mean, I, I think that there's a little bit of a there's going to be a little bit of that rivalry going on as we start, even if as they continue to say they're not competing with WWE.
0: Yeah, and I think it comes down to wrestling. Always comes down to you need what seven, eight people realistically at any time. Mm-hmm. That you can push. It's like a basketball team. Yeah. That's why you need like an eight man rotation. In wrestling, you need eight people. You need like the one reliable superstar and you need the one great heel and you need the one up and comer. And you just kind of mix and match or have bring new people up that nobody know and pit them against one of the established eight. And I think sometimes with WWE, like it's just really hard. At the, at the same time, they don't have the eight, but it's also hard for people to crack that eight. So you have these yeah. people that I thought were definitely going to crack it. Like Samoa Joe, I thought was going to be like a real star for them. For sure. And it doesn't feel like that really happened. Um, or, you know, you mentioned the NXT guys. Ricochet is amazing. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, he's, a, he's my son's favorite wrestler. That guy is like in person, is completely out of control. It's like seeing Giannis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they're probably going to screw him up, right? Hey, like that's somebody that should become, he should immediately be a top eight guy for them. He's so freaking exciting. And I just don't, There's. it's almost like there's no roadmap for him to do that. It's depressing. Yeah.
2: yeah I mean, that's the problem I think with WWE right now is that they have difficulty. I mean, in this part of it's just, it's a huge corporation with an enormous infrastructure that, you know, is, is insurmountable at times, but it's, but it's, catching lightning in a bottle is really hard when you're a, when you're a corporation of that size, you know? I mean, it would be, imagine trying to get NBA desktop off the ground at ESPN, (laughs) you know? I mean, imagine like it's, there's some things that you can just do as a smaller company. You can be more fleet footed and, and, you know, change direction on the, on the fly and WWE, that's really difficult. And now we can get into the John Moxley, Chris Jericho, you know, interview. Yeah. um, But, the most damning thing that he said, and he spent a lot of time talking about it, was just the the impenetrability of the of the creative process. Yeah. You know, the, just the way that he, it was impossible, like the talent, I mean, the wrestlers weren't really like given much input into their own characters and were kind of constantly in this position of like fighting off the worst impulses of Vince McMahon and the writing staff. And, um, you know, even if, even if that having a big writer's room that coming up with the ideas is the right solution and having everything funneled through Vince McMahon, you know, made good content, you still have, the, you still have a sameness issue where everything is being funneled through the same guy at the end of the day. And so it all yeah. feels very much the same. And, you know, wrestling fans can attest to the fact that you feel like you see a lot of things repeated week after week that maybe someone just forgot that they did a month ago or, you know, the, the same finishes to a match, the same sort of the same vibe for what a hero is and what a, what a villain is. Um, and then also, yeah, I mean, what makes a professional wrestler and for people who weren't wrestling fans, this is, a, you know, they're probably not still listening to this podcast. But if, if you are, it's not just being able to go d- drop an elbow off the top rope and grab your belt and say, "Ooh, yeah, you know, it's it's having been the guy standing in front of his mirror in a hotel room in Poughkeepsie coming up with that idea. Yeah. Right? It's the guy who says because
0: Kyle just raised his arm He thought you were talking about him. <laughs> Poughkeepsie, Poughkeepsie. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's the guy. It's it's the guy who watches a VHS tape of you know Japanese wrestling from 1993 and sees a move and says, "Oh my gosh, that's the move I'm going to do." You know, it's the guy. It's it's the guy who grows up in this day and age playing WWF video games on Super Nintendos or on on Xboxes or whatever else and imagine themselves doing it and, and makes and actualizes that 15 years later, you know, and or it's, and,
0: or it's my son on the trampoline trying to yeah. ricochet 720. By the way, that's a real thing that's happening. And I listen, think he's going to die on the trampoline. It's very all, possible.
2: <laughs> well, I hope best wishes to Ben. I hope yeah. it doesn't happen. But listen, of all of the of all of the 11 well, year olds I've ever met in the world. Ben Simmons has the highest upside for being a professional wrestler. (laughs) He really
0: does.
2: (laughs) With the exception of maybe some kids on the U.S. gymnastics team that we haven't seen yet, though Ben's probably going to be much bigger than them. His whole life
0: is like he's training for eight years from now to be an A. It's it's really like AEW (laughs) should just start scouting him now, like way ahead of time.
2: Well, two things. I have I long ago pitched the idea to have a wrest a pro wrestling summer camp for kids because and oh I would mean, just God. be like be tumbling and cutting promos and who wouldn't send their kids to that? But yeah. we'll set that aside for right now. But listen, the point is that Ben Simmons being told what, being handed a script and told what to say, even twenty four year old Ben Simmons is not going to work. No nah. right? of of all of the people who are made to do this, it, your son is maybe one of them, and that process is not going to work for him.
0: Well, and then and, the other thing is. Are we sure that should be the process anymore? Because no, it shouldn't. That's the
2: point. These I don't guys, I mean, know.
0: I don't know anybody who's like, you know, it's awesome that RAW is three hours. Yeah, I'm so psyched. I'm so psyched for the three hour RAW that's coming up. And what's weird is, I, I've gotten to know a lot of the WWE people. I think they're like exceptionally smart. Hey, a lot of the stuff they've done has been really savvy. I think what they did with NXT and the training center and um, what they're doing now with their IP and studios and all that stuff, like it's really smart. What I what I don't understand is how counterproductive a three hour raw every week is, how counterproductive the five hour WrestleMania is. Like at some point they need a little kick in the ass to be like, oh, actually, we we have to care a little bit more about winning fans over week to week. And this is the perfect way to do it. This is the AEW now is the super hot next door neighbor. Who moved in? Who's by the pool every day on the bikini and <laughs> wearing a bikini and just like having a daiquiri and kind of staring you over the bushes? And you, you, you just got to be wary of them. You have to. And the other thing is, there's gonna be wrestlers who aren't happy in their current WWE situation who are watching what just happened with John Moxley. Yeah, like oh man, that could I'm I'm next. I'm sure they got calls this week, right? There must have been. What fifteen people that must have called them and be like? Hey, man! Dave
2: Meltzer says that it's it's enough people to count on two hands that have inquired. People that you wouldn't expect, and so it'll be really. I mean, we know that there's some names out there. Sasha Banks is sort of sitting out right now. Luke Harper right. has been sent home. He's getting paid, but he's basically been told they don't need him until his contract is out. And then uh, the ascension. I mean, sorry, the uh, the revival. Of the tag team is you know is as re- they have formally rejected so a very very healthy contract renewal you know uh, extension. With the ex- with the expectation that they'll be heading over at some point, but those are just a few of the names. You look at Moxley, and you have to think that there's got to be a you know
0: great career move. There's great.
2: yeah. There's got. I mean, even people that don't. I mean, people. The, the name that keeps coming up in conversations is Randy Orton because he's out there on Twitter just being really sort of dismissive of you know his career and you know he's he's kind of acting out a little bit and you know, he doesn't need the money and he doesn't ever seem like the guy that just like desperately wanted to be wrestling in Japan or anything like that just to prove his mettle. But like, man, if somebody like, th- if somebody like that can look at John Moxley and say, that looks like fun, then that's huge. You know, that's a really big deal. Samoa
0: Joe is, I mean, we don't know what these contracts are for some of these people, but Samoa Joe is one to me that feels like you put him in AW as your lead villain and he's just ripping through people and that could be something. You know, I was thinking about all right, Scott Hall and, and uh, Kevin Nash when they jumped. Uh-huh. Like, all right, how big of a deal was that just for how talented they were, right? Diesel was the champ for a while. Scott Hall as Razor just, you know, had some of the best matches of the mid-'90s. They were definitely big guys. They weren't, like, the guys. It wasn't like getting, you know, Shawn Michaels or Bret Hart, basically. But when yeah. they when they came over... It vaulted them to another level, and what else helped was that they were the first two guys that did it, and mm-hmm. the third guy was the one, two, three kid, yeah, who became X Pac. Now, I I don't know was he like one of the top forty guys on the WWE roster at that point, but by being the third guy, he became a guy, yeah, you know, and wasn't he the third guy? He was the third one, right? Yeah.
2: Uh no 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 he well he was he was the let's the third see, crossover. Was, he was the third one that jumped. Yeah, cuz it was it was uh Big Show and then but they were um, already there. Yeah, million dollar man was weirdly they one were, of them. And yeah, they he, were all yeah. right.
0: they were all there. Um I think being in that first wave of I jumped and I'm reinventing myself is a good career move for I would say about 8 to 10 guys on the on the yeah, and
2: there's going to be a limit to how many they're going to sign. I mean, they've said this, and and I think that it'll it'll bear out that you know there's a limit. They can't just be WWE 2.0. You know, I mean, if it's all if it's all WWE perceived to be WWE castoffs, even if it's the cream of the crop, I think that's going to be a hard perception to to compete with. There's yeah, also, but, that, a- but
0: that's a good storyline though. Is they sign like five of them. And it becomes like the the old school guys don't like the new guys. Like, oh, you're just trying to glom on our success. Yeah. We did this without you. We don't need you. This is our thing. And then you can, you know, that's what we love when real life spills into the
2: Yeah, absolutely. Stories. And that's what, and you know, it's going it to, remains to be seen how much of a deal they're going to make about that when they have, you know, a weekly TV time slot to fill. You know, it, 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 you, you don't want them to go too much in the, in the territory of reality. I mean, just of, of straight up like, shoot interviews or whatever, but they're but they got it, but walking that line and figuring out the right tone is the is is difficult, but that's what they're gonna have to do. They they have to be a modern wrestling company and they have to address that stuff. You well know? so and, how
0: many times has somebody been in this specific spot that they're in now where people are just in on them and fired up to see where it goes and feel like, all right, finally somebody's here that represents me. Which is oh. you had like the ECW, right? ECW yeah but that was i mean for like yeah. a, a year and a half there maybe
2: yeah i mean no, no ecw ecw had a good run of being that company i mean from word of mouth from the beginning of word of mouth to their sort of like peak on cable on tnn or whatever um I'm not not their creative peak, but their national. Yeah, I mean more like their creative,
0: like the 97, 98, yeah. when they started having those pay per views. No, I
2: mean uh, they, they 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 had a long run. I mean a year and a half is probably probably less than than what they deserve, but but somewhere around there, you know. I mean yeah. they they had a good run. I mean honestly, it's it it can't possibly be the same thing. But WWE or the WWF, sorry, when like you know Mick Foley famously won the championship on the night when you know, on that pre tape segment, mm. and they were they were. They had positioned themselves so much as the underdog that right. I remember as a wrestling fan feeling like, okay, and 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 the NWO gimmick was sort of getting tired, and and that felt like that Vince and WWF were actually responding to the fans, and they were, you know, in 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 a way that that yeah, that's would, a
0: good call. They were like the Tampa Bay Rays, and the WCW was like the Yankees.
2: They yeah, let I mean, all
0: these big contracts go and they were building around these younger people or these old established dudes everybody liked that they were given a moment to. And it worked. For I don't know what. Like the, all the way through the 90s then it gets a little dark in the 2000s, but Yeah. I, uh, I also I don't think you can underrate the TNT Bleacher Report thing cuz they don't have a lot of new stuff going on from their end and this is something you can, you know, you see when they get behind something, uh, like the House of Highlights feed, like uh, Game of Zones. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't have a ton of like new IP that they can be like, hey, look at this, we got this. Champions League was like that for them. I think they're going to really get behind this, and you know, you're looking at a world where you have this Warner Media. Um, they're trying to combine all these assets and TNT and TBS and True TV are all going to be under one person and HBO's reporting to AT&T and all these different things happening they're clearly headed to a world where like sports becomes like a vertical for them cuz they have basketball yeah. they have uh March Madness they have uh what's that the baseball playoffs and a couple other things and wrestling it's 52 weeks a year, if you do it correctly. It's a huge asset for them if they can pull it off. So I'm sure they will. I'm sure they'll promote the shit out of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen how much content, I mean, if it's going to be 52 weeks or what. um, Because, you know, they've the, AEW has already been pushing back in terms of you know, offering full timers health insurance and stuff in the in the subtle ways, in the little ways that, that diehard wrestling fans, you know, have suggested that yeah. <laughs> WWE change. I've been I was out there early about they're about asking for an off season just for the sake of these wrestlers and for fans too to recharge. But um
0: Maybe well, maybe see, they'll do that. Maybe they'll I mean, take off July maybe, and August.
2: Maybe they will, you know, or at least give guys, you know, give give this give the the performers, you know, rotating break vacations or
0: whatever. Um, but that's but, that's a market inefficiency for them, though, right? Like that's a way you could steal dudes from WWE pretty easily.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah you're working
0: not, seven months a year instead of twelve. The WWE basically did this with Brock Lesnar, and that's it.
2: Yeah. Well, Chris Jericho, too. I mean, who's now part of AEW. But oh, yeah. Chris Jericho yeah. kind of made that blaze that trail for himself because he had the ability to say, I'm going to go play with my band. You know, I mean? he, had right. the, he had the ability to be like, I, if I'm going to keep doing this, if I'm doing it for a long time, then I have to be I, I can't just do it every week.
0: And, uh, and that's and what so, Brian, Brian Curtis is like that at the ringer. <laughs> he just, you know, we don't mess with him. He just kind of tells us what he's going to do and we don't, we don't, everyone to make him upset, you know? Then he, then he
2: comes in and hits somebody with a chair and, yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody goes crazy. Um, but yeah, no, I think you're right about TNT. I think that they're really going to get behind it. And I think that there's, I think that, that one, you know, we've talked about this, I've talked about it, uh, at length, but you know, it's as, as silly as it might sound wrestling, is cooler now than it was 10 years ago. It's cooler now than it was five years ago, and there's a lot of reasons for it, but part of it's just, you know, I always say, when I was growing up, people made fun of you for watching wrestling. The first thing they said was, you know that stuff's fake, don't you? And now it's impossible for someone who go who spends a night a week watching the Kardashians to make that sort of comment. <laughs> True. You know I mean? Yeah. Every, everything has just gotten faker, and everything has gotten more ironic, and it's okay to like silly stuff like wrestling wrestling fans have known this all along but i think wwe has really and i don't and i'm not sitting here telling them what to do because i don't have any brilliant ideas but wwe has been behind the curve at exploiting that change right i mean they have not they have not been able to make wrestling their brand of wrestling as relevant as it could it should be in the modern era where it's like you know when i started this when i started writing about wrestling people were People in, you know, professional writers were floored that this was a thing that someone in Brooklyn would be willing to do, right? And I was, and and now it's like, we, th- there's more people who write about wrestling than there are that write about music. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's it's so much, like, the, the, it shifted so much on the ground. It's so and, funny.
0: I remember trying to, I remember telling ESPN that one of the people we were hiring was a guy who was going to write wrestling for us, and they were just, what was that, 2011? Tell yep. me, John Walsh. Like, yeah. So we're gonna cover wrestling. with This great writer, and he's like, <laughs> a professional wrestling. Like, he's just like completely stupefied by it. We had a lot of wrestling content those first couple months at Grayland, Remember? I yeah. think I even wrote like two pieces. But we had we had a ton of stuff. But yeah, now by the end of this decade, it's become a cottage industry. And do you think Meltzer, by the way, is involved in this uh, AEW?
2: No, uh, I mean I don't. I don't think he's financially involved. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I think that. Do you think uh, he's like
0: a consultant? I
2: think, I, I think that he's really good friends with the people who were running the company. And I think that, that inevitably he's going to, you know, have some conversations with people. I mean, there's always been a thing about Meltzer in New Japan, about his, his level of, of, you know, investment there, investment, <clears throat> metaphorically speaking. And, and, uh, and I think that he just, you know, he is a diehard wrestling fan who old school wrestling old school wrestling fan who enjoys you know that stuff from japan enjoys going to indie shows when he when he goes out to a show he enjoys that sort of like you know pwg content in a way that it, because it's something that wwe doesn't provide right and i can speak from personal experience too that like wwe is awesome but you know it does start to feel like a job at some point watching you know eight hours of content a week and then pay-per-views on the side yeah. And and I and I you can understand why you someone would would get excited about about you know a different a kind of a, a a different iteration of of pro wrestling. Um but no, but but Meltzer is I mean I've not talked to him and and don't I mean don't know but but you you know it seems clear that he's that he's on good terms with the Young Bucks and with Cody Rhodes and with you know some other people who are involved with the with AEW and and um you know, I don't know how much it moves the needle for him to be really invested in it, but it certainly seems like his discussions of AEW um, on his podcast and stuff like that are are, are 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 what people are very very interested in in the pro wrestling you know kind right. of online. It's community in his real right so. yeah, it yeah, does feel sure. like.
0: I, I think he's spiritually involved because I think Tony Khan seems like somebody who probably had the Meltzer newsletter since he was like nine years for old. For sure, yeah, for sure. And a lot of what this. Idea has been is probably like, what if? How do we? How do we take all the stuff happening in Japan and have it here? And how do we empower I mean, wrestlers? For, and it's all smart.
2: And for Meltzer, and 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 you know, there's he's not the only person out there on that beat. You know, Mike Johnson. I mean, there's there's a bunch of people who do this, but uh, for for people who are the, the real reporters in the wrestling business. This is this is more exciting for them is it than it is for us fans because they get to actually like report on people like on like contract situations again you know right. I mean they get to, the the business side is what is what I mean and I've talked about this too with WWE has these two brands they have they've had drafts they've you know shakeups they have everything else and they've totally missed out on actually like doing what's the the most uh, replicating the fun part of professional sports these days which is the off season. True. And now we now have we the off now we have it. You know, I mean, that's gonna be, and it's and and just like with pro wrestling, the offseason's never ending because all these contracts come up at different times. So, you know, that that's gonna be a really, really intriguing thing. And I don't mean to and not just to make light of it in terms of our enjoyment of it, but this is huge for 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 the power of of the wrestlers, right? For the for the bargaining power, for the mm. for their for their personal well-being. Finally, they can go, you know, when the contract comes up, it's not just I sign whatever the McMahon's put in front of me. It's like I can go to them and say, you know, I got another offer or I'm i I'm willing to, to entertain other offers. And that's a that's a game changer, especially for people who see WWE signing billion dollars worth of TV billions of dollars of TV contract and none of it's trickling down or little of it's trickling down. Well you it's left a, out it's a really one, big deal.
0: Yeah, you left out one piece. The guy who has eight months left or the girl who um can use that last eight months as leverage. Like, all right, if you want me to stay, like I'd like this, this, or this to happen. Yeah. If it's not going to happen, I'm not going to stay. So just, you know, it's almost like an NBA player heading into the February trade deadline. Like, are you going to trade for some help? Or this is just going to be my team in the next five months? Oh, it is? All right, well, I'm going to leave then. But I think, you know, somebody like Sasha Banks, who I agree with you, they, one of the wasted talents of the last five years for what I thought her potential was with them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you can waste a talent like that in the same way because she can just leave and really come back to haunt haunt you, which goes back to my initial point. I think this is weirdly good for WWE. I think it's good to have competition. I think it's good to have somebody keeping you on your toes.
2: I totally agree. And WWE, once they, I mean, listen, they like to position the Monday Night Wars as a kind of fight for their existential existence. And it was, you know, I in, mean, in, yeah. in, in financial ways and everything else. But, but you know, the, if they can see past just the, you know, feeling that they need to like destroy or, you know, kill the kill AEW in its crib or whatever, then they then then they they hopefully will come to the realization too the competition is good because they haven't been able to provide that for themselves no matter how hard they've tried.
0: Where do you think my son ends up, AEW or WWE? If you had to handicap it right now, you figure like this is nine years <sighs> away now? I think he's twenty. He's probably in here.
2: I think it's I mean, listen, it's your your son is your son you know, is going to, has grown up with, is going to continue to grow up with some level of privilege. And one of those is that he has been at the performance center. And if you make a phone call, he could probably show up at the performance center to start training for like a week. Although, yeah. But, but so, I mean, and so that the, the pipeline, the WWE pipeline seems like the real likelihood, but that said, if he does anything else with his life and just decides to start you know, indie wrestling on the side or something like that, then AEW could be, if he, if he start if you, if you make him go to college and uh, he starts just like training at a gym, training at a wrestling gym at night, that could, you know, AEW might be, might be the leader in the clubhouse. I don't know.
0: Um, true or false. He asked us to buy a wrestling ring for his, uh, his birthday last November. An actual <laughs> wrestling ring to put in, on the basketball, in the little half basketball court we have in the backyard. That is that actually the true. Most- he priced them, he looked, he looked them up. There's companies that make wrestling rings. He's like, "What about this one? It's not that big." Like not ironically. He's really like, "No, no, this could fit. I did the measurements." Uh so that happened. We bought him <laughs> we bought him this really cool trampoline that I I put a couple Instagram videos on that has a basketball hoop and he's been on there all the time and he really is turning into like Rey Mysterio on this trampoline. So I don't, I don't know what to expect anymore. He's all muscle now, and it's like all the all of his all of the choices that he's making just point toward a wrestling lifestyle. So I don't know. AEW start scouting him.
2: You just got to keep him. You got to keep him. You know, zoned in on the pro wrestling as he gets older. You know, yeah. there's going to be some point where he gets more obsessed with girls or with baseball or whatever else. And you, I mean you just got to you just got well, to keep the wrestling. It doesn't happen. have to. It doesn't have to be number one. Right. But it has to be there in the top five somewhere. You yeah, know? top and, three. Yeah. Yeah, well, he, and, and I, I he's think he's been working
0: out. Like, he's, I don't know, he's doing push-ups now. I don't yeah. know, Kyle. What do you think? That's great. You're around this psychopath.
2: I think just more trampoline time is really all he needs. More Trampoline, trampoline. time. Yeah, get some ropes in there, you know. We'll makeshift ropes. That, that's what he needs. The
0: funny thing is, I remember watching the Miz's real-world season, and he, he really, you know, he, he, like, really wanted to be a wrestler and had this whole character, and I was like, wow, this guy's pretty good at this but then he actually became a wrestler and now he's, I would say one of their best eight stars. So who knows? It's,
2: it's wild. I, I thought that, you know, on, on the real world, I thought it was a joke. I, I was watching it in real time too. I was just like, this guy's making a mockery of the pseudo sport that I love. Right. And for the first 10 years of his career, the Miz was that guy. The Miz was a, a professional wrestler, but he was, he would look like a guy who was pretending to be a professional wrestler, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and he has turned into, yeah, one of the legitimate top guys in the, in the sport in in the business. And, and, uh, you know, I think he's a real—he's—he's he's a model for people that that grew up watching it. But listen, the coolest thing about pro wrestling right now is that almost all of the top stars are not football players who blew out their knees. You know, yeah. they're not—they're—they're not—they're not you know bouncers who are who some you know strip club bouncers who Dusty Rhodes point out and said, "Come down to the office and I'll I'll give you a, a singlet." They're guys who grew up, guys and girls who grew up watching wrestling and dreaming of being pro wrestlers. Everybody on the roster has a picture of them posing with. You know, Jake the Snake Roberts when they were a little kid or whatever, you know, like they were all fans and and there's nothing. And 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 really, that should that should amount to this great new glory day of, you know, wonderful era of pro wrestling with all mm. of these fans and brilliant minds. And instead, you know, and it hasn't quite gotten there yet. Maybe AEW, a wrestler that's I mean, a, a wrestling promotion that's going to be, you know, sort of like by the wrestlers for the wrestlers and and also for fans, too. Um, may, maybe, maybe that'll be the platform for for people like that to really flourish.
0: Well, they have three more pay-per-views this summer, it looks like.
2: Yeah, I mean, they have- I the, know this because
0: my son looked them up and then <laughs> yes. showed them to me. There's three more coming. Yeah, And then they, it looks like the TV show, whatever incarnation, it, whether it's weekly or bi-weekly, whatever it is, it looks like that's going to be in the fall. So we'll see. And we'll see who jumps, whose contracts are up, I'm excited. I'm like you. I'm excited. This is going to be like July 1st NBA, where there's just going to be rumors every week about this person might go, that person. If you had to pick two, this would be my last question. then we have to go. Two people that you think could jump, who would the two be? Oh God,
2: that's really hard. I have no idea. I mean, I I have to go in and try to figure out when everybody's contract is up. I mean, Sasha Banks had the problem of like just signing a contract not too long ago. And that's why she's in this really weird this really weird nether world right now that like you can't just walk away. True, at least you can't walk away. You can't walk away to to wrestle for somebody else. I guess you could walk walk away for most other career paths. Um, but man, I I don't know. I mean, I think the revival is a done deal. You know, I mean, someone like Luke Harper has, uh, I think, another nine months or something. They're going to tag on some extra time to that to to his contract and 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 you know he. But those are those are the names that people have talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. I think if you want to start speculating about people who would you know, if if everything if everybody was a free agent, who you know who is who hasn't reached their potential, who could be really great outside of WWE? Uh, Samoa Joe, you mentioned. I think Finn Balor is a name that should yeah. come up in these conversations. My son's in on that one. Um, and and then you go down, and look at NXT, where there's you know, I mean, some of the 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 biggest names that the biggest stars that have come through there. Um, have a legitimate like size disadvantage in WWE. You know the undisputed era is not going to look the, not going to look normal. You know not going to look as big as the as they do in NXT when they get to the main roster. They would be a really cool addition to the AEW. I mean those guys are supremely talented in almost yeah. every in every way. Um, but and yeah, I mean and and there's just this laundry list of tag teams too. That I mean AEW is really focusing on this stuff, but. Man, I mean, just look at the what they're calling the Viking Experience. Now we've been absent from TV for three weeks or for two weeks or something like that. Who, My who son were, is
0: so upset about this. This was one of his favorite NXT people,
2: the War Raiders down in NXT. Yeah,
0: he, they well they he, he loved the War chant and they came to WWE. And what did they change their name? Like three different times? They just yeah, kept they, well, changing they
2: were, it. They were they were War Machine on the Indies. They changed them to the to the War Raiders in NXT. And then when they got called up, they were the Viking Experience. And then after that was just summarily like laughed off the internet, they changed right. it to the Viking Raiders. Um Vince McMahon apparently was very concerned that, that people would have trouble discerning that these two guys with like Braveheart face paint and horns and you know leather leather I mean in leather uh uh loincloth, they were he, he, they were gonna have trouble realizing that they're supposed to be Vikings, so they changed their name to the Viking experience.
0: Um it's always good to take somebody that had a great gimmick that fans were responding to and then just completely changed the gimmick and the name. They'd be like, hey, no, no, now we're going to do it this way. That always goes over great. People love that. Yeah. People love when things get changed that they like. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so hopefully, I mean, and, and then that all goes back to to Dean Ambrose, a.k.a. John Moxley's, you know, issues with WWE and, and WWE creative, and, and that's that they – Play, you know, the, the wrestlers weren't given enough volition. You know, they're not yeah. given the chance to be creative and to be the stars that they sort of made themselves into. And and uh, you know, hopefully WWE will realize that that's you know a problem that they need to fix on their own. And 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 you know, clearly AEW is going to be giving people the opportunity to you know be their best selves, or at least for now. It seems that way.
0: Well, good luck to AEW. I love the competition. Kevin Owens is another name I think could be a good AEW. He guy.
2: just signed a five-year deal. So oh, he he's did? Not, ah. Yeah, I mean, he. he I mean, and, and I think that he's, you know, in in, in a lot of ways, he's a he's a really important cog, and WWE knows
0: that. I don't I don't think that, but he would be he would be a great. He fit knows there. that, except he lost like 180 matches last year. Well, yeah, but you know <laughs> the, the head who's the one who posted the win loss records that did they, their Kevin Owens was like fifty <laughs> and one hundred eighty five or something. Some yeah. crazy bad record. It was like, wow, this guy's yeah. so important. And, and
2: another name to look at is Rusev. That guy is an incredible I mean that guy could be the like that guy could be a, a conquering monster in all elite in New Japan. He could do a yeah. lot of things. Sweetheart so. of a
0: guy that Rusev. He's—he's he's an Turns amazing. Turns out he fellow. doesn't really have the Russian accent in real life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, he has an accent. It's just not—you
0: know—it's not, not Russian. It's not Boris
2: and Natasha. No. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, Shoemaker, this was—this uh, was wonderful. Good luck with the press box. Keep an eye. Speaking of moving things, keep an eye on the press box. Keep yeah, an we're, eye.
2: We're—we're—we're we're, we're gonna try some new stuff out. Of, yeah, the we're, press box. we have
0: some. We're up to stuff with the press box. Uh, all right, cool. Hope all is new. All is well with the uh, with the fam and everything. Talk to you soon.
2: Talk to you, man. Thanks.
0: All right. Thanks to the zone. Don't forget about Joshua this weekend. The big fight, still time to get it. All you have to do is go to DAZN.com, sign up, get to watch some heavyweight title uh, boxing this weekend. Thanks to Fruit of the Loom Cool Zone Fly Boxer Briefs. Life is better with vents, especially in your underwear. They are designed with a ventilated mesh fly that allows airflow wherever you need it most. Check out fruit.com to find your next pair. Use the code BILL get an additional 10% off their current promotion of 20% off the Cool Zone Fly Boxer Briefs. That is fruit.com, promo code BAIL. Uh, We are back maybe Sunday night? Haven't decided yet. Depends how good game two is. Kyle doesn't want us to be back on Sunday night. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Don't let me. Let me... Maybe Craig would want to work Sunday uh, night. Chill, chill, chill. I'm, in, I'm <laughs> there. I'm sleeping over on Saturday night. That's how much I want to be there. <laughs> you sleeping over? Oh <laughs> my Saturday God. Night. Uh we'll see how game we'll see we'll see how we feel about uh the game too. But uh might be available, might be doing the pod on Sunday night or Monday morning. We'll see. Kyle Kyle still has three days to talk me out of it. Enjoy the weekend and uh and we'll see you next week.